Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 95, Mirror Image. What do you got on tap? Schlitz. Schlitz. Schlitz? Got Iron City, Duquesne, and Fort Pitt in bottles. Yeah, uh, Schlitz will be fine. Regular? Schooner. Schooner. What do I owe you? Fifteen cents. Fifteen cents. There you go. Something wrong? That's, uh, me. In the mirror. God. What? I've got white hair. Just a little. You know, you really should look in the mirror more often. Look at these crow's feet. When's the last time you took a really good look at yourself? (sighs) It's been a while. Well, you let too much time go by, you could lose touch with reality. (laughs) August 8, 1953. It's the day I was born. Happy birthday. I was born at 1230 in Indiana. So that means uh, 43 minutes from now. No. Actually, it's 17 minutes ago. Time's a little funny here. The town voted not to go on daylight savings time, so 1230 here is the same as 1230 in the Midwest. Well, then I was born roughly the same time I came through that door. Holy smokes. Wow. (laughs) I guess I should have warned you. Gushy has the worst breath in Cokeburg. Gushy? You call that guy Gushy? Mm Mm-hmm. And your name is Al? Albert. It's not Calavici, is it? No, not Calavici. It's funny because I happen to know uh, Gushy. And you gotta admit that Gushy isn't really like a common household name. And I also happen to know an Al. Al's pretty common. Yeah, but not Gushy. And, uh, well, the weird thing is that the Gushy that I know and, and that Gushy, they got the same horrible breath. His name's Chopper. Anyone named Chopper in your life? Not that I can remember. You know, Miner, 
There's no one here. Gushy, this is impossible. If there's no one here, that means he had to leap into himself. Well, Ziggy gives that a 99.2% probability. He's somewhere in time as himself? Apparently so. Well, how in the hell is Ziggy gonna find him? We're not sure that she can. I'd leaped into a coal mining tavern. People with names and faces both strange and familiar to me, but the biggest surprise was that I was me. For the first time in years, the reflection in the mirror was mine, gray hair, crow's feet and all. So why had I leaped here? What wrong was I to put right in? Where in God's name was Al? Your name isn't Mo Stein, is it? No, I'm Ziggy. Oh, Ziggy. Ziggy? Your name is Ziggy? You heard of me? Al, you better give me a double shot of whiskey and a can of snuff. You're not retarded. You're just slow, okay? <laughs> Frank. Frank, how you doing, man? Whoa, whoa, whoa. How are you? Who the hell are you? Frank, it's me, Jim. I don't know you, Jim, but your name is Frank, right? My name's Taunchy. He not who he pretend to be, Al. Who's he pretending to be, Stop. I don't know. When I figure that out, then I know why he here. Who are you, bartender? Who knows everything? Only God knows everything. <laughs> you don't really think I'm God, do you? <laughs> You're not just a bartender. You want to help Don Chi and Pete? I think that's why I'm here. Me too. What can I do? Be safety inspector. If I'm a... He leaped. That must be what it looks like to leap. Stroppa. Stroppa was a leaper. You created all of this, didn't you? I built the bar, if that's what you mean. This is more than just a bar. There's something special about this place. Dead men save miners' lives and then and vanish into an aura of blue light? Yeah, I'd say there's something special about this place, all right? Books are full of the dead saving the living. So Stjopo was here. I remember him. Why don't they? That's the way it is. That's the way it is? One moment he, he's one of them, and the next he's just a memory, and all you can say is that's the way it is? Sometimes. That's the way it is, is the best explanation. Not for me. I'm not sure you're ready for more. Try me. Why did you create Project Quantum Leap, Sam? To travel in time. Why did you want to travel through time? Because I, w I, I wanted to... Uh... To make the world a better place? Of course, to make the world a better place. To put right what once went wrong? Yes, but not one life at a time. Oh, I got Mother Teresa here. Do you really think that all you've done is change a few lives? Basically, yes. At the risk of overinflating your ego, Sam, you've done more. The lives you've touched, touched others. And those lives, others. You've done a lot of good, Sam Beckett. And you can do a lot more. I don't want to do more. 
I want to go home. Then why haven't you? Because I don't control my future. You do. Sam, you will only do this as long as you want to. Are you saying I can leap home anytime I want? Technically, yes. What's the catch? The catch is that you have to accept that you control your own destiny. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today, we have finally arrived. Today, we are discussing the series finale of Quantum Leap. Mirror image. Everybody, break out your hankies. It's a very sad occasion. <gasps> the least controversial Quantum Leap episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's us in the mirror. <laughs> least controversial, most emotional, the most confusing. It's just, it's a lot of stuff rolled up into one. Most typo ridden. <laughs> It's not that many typos in Quantum Leap, admittedly, but this one wins. Most characters named Gushy in an episode. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would say that's in all of TV. I don't think any other <laughs> show has had multiple Gushies. Longest episode, I think, apart from the pilot. Is it? By like a minute. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a good minute or so longer than other episodes. I swear there were ones that were like 48 minutes and this was like 47, but I could be wrong. Okay. I just know my tape ran out uh, before the end. Oh, okay. And does that 48 minutes include a saga cell? Yeah, that's including... Yeah, so this so this one didn't have a saga cell. Oh, okay. All right. So it was jam-packed. But anyway, we're already with the trivia, the weird trivia, because I yes. think well, we, we want to maybe avoid discussing this controversial episode. But we need to come back to the lack of Saga Cell. That is a point we need to come oh, back to. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, for sure. I remember thinking, did I miss it? Did something happen? Did, did, did they I mean, come in late? I mean, it's kind of useless for this episode. I, like, even people who know Quantum <laughs> Leap are like, what happened, though? What just yes. happened? It's a real head scratcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, yeah, why don't we, uh, you know, before we get off the rails already, I, I really want to keep this one structured a little bit more than we have um, episodes in, uh, I guess, most of season five and probably the majority of season four because there's just so much to get through. I feel like this is a Lee Harvey Oswald level event in the sense of just sheer content and what it means for Quantum Leap. So It's a fair point, Chris, but I don't remember what our structure is, so I'm hoping... That that I'm, you, that's you, why, Matt, I'm here to take you by the hand. Oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm going to ask you very leading questions. Why did you create Quantum Leap? Um, um, <laughs> to put right what once went wrong? Yes. Okay. To help others? Um, sure. <laughs> but uh, I want to begin where we always begin, and I think it's especially important um, to actually bring this back to the original intent of it, um, initial impressions, because Matt, you reminded me, I think in the Memphis Melody episode that when we used to do initial impressions, when we first started, we would discuss where we were and how we felt when we first saw the episode. Mm. And I think that's particularly important for mirror image, considering that it really is a, an outlier and a head scratcher. So, um, Allison, I'd like to start with you, uh, your initial impressions of mirror image. I mean, it's a it's a weird episode. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, I, it's one of those that, like, I think it's taken me a while to kind of um, uh, warm up to. Uh, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just kind of mixed about uh, it being the finale. Uh, but I think, like, I would rather that than just some random leap episode. Like, so it, it really kind of it makes you think. So I, I like that it's kind of a, a weird episode. Uh, episode not like any other one 
I have a question for you um, because I think this is specific to you and it probably mirrors the experience of a lot of the listeners uh, who are listening to this right now. When you saw Mirror Image, did you already know how the series ended? Yes. And do you think, I guess you can't really answer this question. Obviously, then it must have affected the way that you viewed it. Honestly, I'm I'm really glad that I knew going in because I would have been really disappointed to be honest. Right. Um, but I mean, I'll I'll go into it. I will all talk about our feelings about that final card. But I will say that I I mm. uh, have been kind of up and down with that particular thing. All right, all right, fair enough. Mm. So Matt Dale, your initial impressions of Mirror Image. I have always loved this episode. Um, so I first saw this uh, when I was 13 on its first broadcast on uh, BBC Two. It was a year after the broadcast in the US, but as I think we've spoken about previously, I, I was fairly spoiler-free. So yeah, I went into this knowing it was the end, but not knowing anything else. And I, I don't know in the US just how much had leaked in advance or how much had been promoted in advance, besides the fact that it supposedly had answered everything. But certainly in the UK... Those of us that weren't connected to the internet or to fandom at large had no idea what this was going to be about. And um, yeah, I I bought into it earnestly every second. I was just watching it. So, yeah, OK, this, this is fine. I'm, I'm not. Yes, it's a weird episode, but I didn't I didn't think that in a critical way. Um, so, yeah, I, I loved it on the first viewing and I've seen it so many times since. Um, yeah, I, I adore this. All right. Um, yeah, I, I was curious because we, I think we all three have unique experiences when it comes to this. Um, I, I thought that, Matt, you might be in somewhat of the same boat since you were a year removed. I thought maybe you had gotten some kind of spoilers, but it, it seems mm. to me like your experience was um, much like mine. Going into it, we knew it was the final leap. Uh, I think it was promoted as the final leap. And from, from what I recall, I can hear the NBC announcer's voice uh, in my head <laughs> still saying, the final leap, your questions will be answered. And um, <laughs> I was in an no. apartment. <laughs> I was in Missouri. I was in school in Missouri, and I was in an apartment with three roommates. And um, we all sat down to watch it because they were casual fans because of me, because, you know, they knew I loved it. And when Quantum Leap was on, it was just like, all right, everybody leave the living room. Chris is going to claim the TV for an hour when I was home. So we all sat there and we watched it. And that final title card comes up. And then the do 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 and we all just looked at each other like, what the <laughs> fuck did we just watch? <laughs> and it was it was a conundrum. And I, I I think in the moment I was disappointed because it was so different from anything that any of us had come to expect for the series finale of Quantum Leap. It didn't answer any questions. It just raised a whole bunch of um, <laughs> new questions and confusing questions. <laughs> and I think that actually makes it a stronger series finale for Quantum Leap. This to me is much preferable than like you said, Allison, a quote, usual leap or a schmaltz fest where Sam comes home. Because well, I didn't say it was better than a schmaltz fest for oh. Sam comes home. <laughs> okay, well, I would enjoy a schmaltz fest for Sam comes <laughs> home, but I wouldn't have wanted the show to end on like Elvis the end. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Okay. Like I would, I, I would rather have something unique and um, that really felt like a finale. And this was weird, but it felt like a finale. 
Yeah, and that's that's what I've come to appreciate about it as the years have passed. Now I'm much on the same page as Matt. I don't just like it. I love it. I adore it. I think it's a brilliant series finale. And um, it's just evidenced by the fact that fans are still talking about it. To this yeah. day, it still causes division. It still causes speculation. There's still just like a lot of different interpretations that you can bring to it. And that's what I mean by saying I think it's so much stronger as a series finale than something where Sam had gotten home and it would have been a nice celebration. But I feel like it would have worn thin after about four or five viewings. Like sometimes I feel like the leap back wears thin because you've seen mm. all the beats a thousand times. Watching Mirror Image, I'm never bored. I'm always engaged. I'm always trying to find something new, another nuance, another wrinkle. And that continued right up to the two times I watched it before this show. I'm noticing more in it now, um, even though I know it backwards and forwards. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. And I think that that is one of its key strengths. You know, Chris, I, I think I was probably a couple of years away. From, if I'd have been a little bit older, I may have had the same journey as you, watching it and thinking, what the fuck was that? And then taking time to warm to it. It was just because of my my age and the fact that I was, I think I was either watching it with my mum or alone. I went to see my next door neighbour afterwards and say, oh my God, did you see that? Wow, what was that? But basically it was a very personal experience. So I didn't think the obvious thing, which is, well, that was excellent, but that was not Quantum Leap. Because it's not Quantum Leap. Oh, whatever the hell it is, it's not Quantum Leap. But it's really good. And I can totally see why anybody with an ounce of criticism might have watched it thinking, that's not what I was expecting, and therefore it's terrible, or it should have been very different. So that was that, that was my take on it, that I, I think I was fortunate to have approached it with quite innocent eyes and just seen it as a damn good hour of TV. Okay. And I think that the way you described it as being terrible and not good quantum leap is the way many fans still see it today. But mm. I, I would counter that uh, vigorously um, because I think that this is a very specific kind of leap. But I, I want to get your guys' permission to sort of approach this as a certain way. Because I think in order for my analysis of the episode and the discussion that I want to have to make sense, we have to agree on a couple of key things to frame the discussion. And you tell me if you agree with that or you don't. Number one, that this is not a standard leap. This is a test for Sam. And number two, this is primarily Stoppa's leap. It is not Sam's leap that we're watching. And I think that if you look at the episode with those two caveats in mind, number one, it makes a lot more sense. And number two, it's a lot more satisfying. Um, do you guys agree with both or either of those uh, statements? Nope. <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, if you say that it's Stoppa's leap, it, then it, you have to discount all of the things very specific to Sam in this leap. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that Sam doesn't play a part. I'm not saying that the plot doesn't ultimately revolve around Sam and sort of his resolution. What I'm saying is the main leap action in the plot, I think, is very specifically driven by Stoppa. And uh, I think that's for very good reason within this weird pocket universe that I think we're in. Ah, okay, good. Yeah, I, I think what they're doing here is um, establishing the new way of leaping. Had this gone on to uh, season six, so it's part mm. things going on in Sam's head, a, a test for Sam, part 
stop us stuff uh parts uh, donald belisario therapy session <laughs> part all sorts of <laughs> yes. different things um but i think what it would have been had there been a season six um they're establishing this is how these sorts of things would work he would be himself people would see him as a specific thing there like you are the health inspector you are this thing and then as soon as he's gone he's gone they wouldn't remember him but things would be fixed i think that's kind of where they were going with it uh, but they're kind of being vague about it because they also had to make this a series finale which it ultimately ended up being Okay, and Matt, you you were ready to take me to the mattresses. I I was, but then you said something later that um, maybe I can just clarify. And so, yes, I think if you if you look at this as a standard leap, yeah, sure, it should up as leap. I can buy that. But what I was concerned about, and correct me if I'm I'm wrong, is that it sounded like you're trying to make this as literal an interpretation as possible. But then later you you mentioned pocket universe or whatever. And that's more how I see this, that not quite as cheesy and simple as it was all a dream, but that it's it's not really literally happening. And that if Alan Gushy opened up the history books in their time and looked back, they wouldn't find any evidence of this bar. It was never really there. None of the people were there. None of this happened. But it did sort of happen. And Al was obviously able to get in there somehow. Hmm. Well, I have I have a theory on that. What if this is where Sam goes between leaps? Huh. That'd be interesting. Never thought of that. Wow. I, yeah, and I hadn't thought of that specifically, but that kind of that kind of level of reality, where it's definitely not our reality, and thus we can explain away all the all the stuff that doesn't quite make sense. But it is it's an important it is a test for Sam, and it's all about him, and some of that is him watching Stopper be a leaper and kind of be able to analyze that and interpret it. So in that sense. I agree with you, but it just sounded like you were you were going to try and do what I've seen some fans do, just try and make this, try and crowbar this into a very literal world. No, which I don't think is possible. No, and that's if you see, it's my first my first real uh, discussion point is where is Sam exactly here? Mm. Okay, good. I, so, Matt, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, and and that's that's as far as I've got. Okay, so one one of the things about this episode, every time I watch it, I get drawn into it and. I, I enjoy the fact that it opens up a lot of new questions and I never really try and stop and answer it. So I don't know. I'm interested in hearing what you two think. I'm interested in hearing what our listeners think when they give feedback. But just beyond the fact that ah, it's, 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 I don't think he's in our plane of reality. But does that mean that he's in heaven? Does that mean, <laughs> as Alison suggests, maybe this is between leaps? Hmm. I I don't know, and honestly, I don't I don't necessarily want to know. You know, I'm happy to be here and be part of the discussion, but um, I will never settle on it. I think this is like kind of David Lynch territory, where you just you just don't want to really understand it for me <laughs> anyway. So it's just I, I'm I'm fine with just watching it and appreciating the metaphors, even if I don't know what they're metaphors for. Always, it's fine. Sorry, it's going to be useless for the discussion because you're going to keep saying, "What do you think, Matt?" Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a per- in the case of mirror image, that is a perfectly valid answer. <laughs> I, I might say that a lot tonight. How how about you, Allison? Had you ever given serious thought as to where this takes place? Exactly what kind of setting we're in here? 
Well, I mean, uh, it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, and people have interpreted it in different ways. You notice when Sam leaps in, he's very confident of where he is. He leaps into the doorway, and he looks around, and he immediately goes over to, like, order a beer. There's no, like, huh, what's going on? Or kind of feeling it out, like, uh, hey, you. Like, he just seems like he's been there before. Like, he knows this place, and he's, like, he's very familiar with it. So, I mean... You could go with, like, this is the place in between leaps. Uh, you could go with, this is all happening in Sam's head. You could say, this is the afterlife. I don't like that particular interpretation, but you could say it. Um, the thing that always seems weird to me that seems to break this illusion of it being not a real place or uh, some pocket dimension or any sort of thing like that is all of the stuff with Al. Because we continually see the scenes with him and Gushy in the control room and then uh, doing the, the search uh, through all of his birthdays to try and find him. And then Al shows up in there and says, he's going to leave. If we just saw Sam's perspective and then Al comes in and he's like, Hey, we're going to get you out of here and leaves. You could still make that argument that Al wasn't even really there. This is all in Sam's head. This Mm -hmm. didn't even really happen. But because we see this stuff with Al, that leaves a lot more questions as to what really is going on. Because Al didn't jump into Sam's head. He didn't jump into this alternate universe. He didn't, like, I mean, it's, I see. I guess he could have jumped into an alternate universe. I don't know. Why not? (laughs) He can go through time. Yeah, I, I have I have a headcanon for that. Well, if if we're accepting that it's not a real place, it is any number of those things, because God, fate, time, whatever, has controlled things to allow Sam to enter this pocket dimension, alternate reality, whatever, why can't we also assume that he's let Al in there as well? I, I think it's perfectly plausible that Al is allowed in to have a final moment with Sam and then let go again. I guess... If it's just in his head, it doesn't make sense. If it's like heaven, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I guess God could take him to heaven. <laughs> and I, but see, my interpretation of this was never that it was a head trip and never that it was an afterlife. I, th- I, th- I think, though, if you accept that God, fate, or time is controlling it, particularly if it's God controlling this, then, yeah, God's omnipotent. It, it, he could easily have put Al into Sam's mind or let him go into heaven and then let him go back to it. It, it, But all bets are off, basically. You you can't apply any kind of physical laws and say, because Al is there, it must be X, Y, or Z. Because God is there, and therefore (laughs) it could be anything. And see, I think that that's a little too broad. So, I mean, the way I parse this is that I, I think where Sam is is really in some kind of alternate reality pocket dimension, call it what you will, like reality adjacent, that is specifically created by GTFW, Al the bartender, whatever, however you interpret that presence behind the bar. And um, we have our first Star Trek reference of the day. I believe that this is like a Kobayashi Maru that GTFW (laughs) concocts for leapers. And I believe not only is it like sort of a testing ground to bring leapers to say the next level, I think it's an environment that's deceptively simple, but um, one that is specifically designed to throw Sam off at every turn. Um, because if you notice, Allison said when he walks in, he walks in kind of confidently, he offers a beer. But then as the first act progresses, he, he sort of nudges Al in ways that he's nudged other people to figure out who he is and where he is, what the date is. Yes. So those are all, these are all pictures from World War II, huh? 
Who's in the picture with you? Well, that's my brother, Joe. We took this when I went down to visit him at Camp Edwards just before he shipped out for Europe. Well, you don't look like you changed much. Hair's gone gray. Well, that's not too bad, considering it's been... What? Uh, a few years, at least, you know, since... And he's waiting for Al to fill in the blanks so that he knows it's like whatever year. And he's like, it's it's like Al's purposely not giving him anything. Right down to what day is it is throwing Sam off balance. Even what time is it is throwing Sam off balance. Because yeah. he says, I'll be born 45 minutes from now. No, it's actually, you know, 15 minutes ago. Uh, because time is funny here. Yeah. And you're not where you come from. And strap in because you can't even rely on that clock on the wall. The fact that Sam walked in the very second he was born signifies that this is a rebirth for him. This is um, him moving on to another stage. That's where it gets more metaphorical for me. But what you guys are saying for, for Al to be able to connect to him in a real world sense, my explanation is simple. I mean, Ziggy is a parallel hybrid computer can probably see multiple realities because that's what time travel is. It's just branching possibilities, multiple realities. And they do have a neural link to Sam. So if they can find him somewhere and Al can lock on, then she can conceivably send Al there no matter where there is. So that's the way I looked at that part of it. It's not so much that Sam is shut away from everything he's ever known. He's just in a different place. And that doesn't mean that they still can't reach him. Um, I don't know if that holds as much water, per se, but that's the way I like to look at it. How come Ziggy can take him through time, alternate dimensions, whatever, but then it's like, oh, this person's too spacey, I can't lock on. <laughs> Some people, I just can't. <laughs> yeah, don't ask me, uh, because plot, Allison, because show. Ziggy's a liar. <laughs> Ziggy had help from God this time. <laughs> what if this is, I mean, if this is something tied in with Sam, it's also tied in with Al, because uh, the stuff with uh, Stopa, uh, it's just the name that he sh that is his uncle, who also has the same stuff with arthritis, who may or may not be the same guy, because he seems to be alive in Al's universe, even though he died 20 years ago. <laughs> 20 years ago. I don't know. I guess if you, if you say this is in Sam's mind, or if it's uh, connected with Ziggy and the project or any of that stuff, I mean... And that's also connected to Al because the the neural link. So I don't know. I mean, kind of a mix of of both of them. I think that that stop a link is more GTFW, just having having some fun. I mean, it is Al's bar as well, Al's yeah. place. So and believe me, um, another thing that uh, that name and Al being named Al, if Gushy had been the project observer and not Al, when Sam left there, it would have been Gushy's place. Because yeah. Sam relies on Al for information. We're going to throw you off, Sam. My name is Al, but I'm giving you nothing. Yeah. So I, I think that that was, again, a very deliberate choice on GTFW's part to throw Sam off kilter and force him to think in new ways. And, and I think that thinking in new ways thing begins almost immediately when old Gushy walks in. And Sam as oh, he's got the same bad breath and he's like, what's going on here? I have an Al. I have a Gushy. He runs out. He sees the kids from Tale of Two Sweeties. And then before he can sort of react to that, before we can explore that, then Stoppa walks in. And I mean, I when I say that this is more Stoppa's leap than Sam's, 
it's because he plays such a central role in this leap. And um, the reason I think this is, is more his thing than Sam's thing is because he just strikes me as a failed leaper. He strikes me as someone like Sam who came to this place, to this Kobayashi Maru, to figure out how to either become a leaper or move to the next stage of leaping and not being able to do it. Mm. That's why he says, I got to figure out a way to save them this time. I need find way. Get them out this time. Yeah, this, this time. time yeah. This time. Been here too many times before. How do you know all this? I've been there. Too many times. And I think a lot yeah. of people interpret that I got to figure out a way to save them. I've been here too many times before. I think a lot of people interpret that as him saying, I've been in that situation when I was younger yeah. in a cave. And no, I think yeah. he's been in this exact scenario, this yes. exact situation, and he's not been able to pull it off. And he's thankful now that Sam is here, some kind of wild card that he can use to maybe um, spur some kind of change and save Tonchi and Pete. When Stoppa leaps, if you look at it from that point of view... Um, it makes a lot more sense story-wise just in, in the way the plot unfolds because he's the one driving the action for saving Taunchy and Pete. Even Al the bartender says to Sam, You're beginning to think you're here to save Pete and Taunchy. But I'm not. Not directly. So, I mean, he's telling him, look, back off. This is his thing. If you want to talk philosophy, we can talk about that. I'm going to ease you in, but he's still got to pass his own test over there. Has he been there for 20 years? Is that why he was dead <laughs> for 20 years? Yeah, I, I don't know about the dead thing, but I... I don't think that Stoppa is on his like third or fourth go. I think he's probably on his 50th or 60th. I think he's been there for a few years anyway. And I think that maybe that's why he, number one, doesn't drink. Maybe he used to drink, but he realizes he's got to stay sharp and figure out a way to fix this. That's why he only drinks Pepsi. And number two, I mean, the fact that he's so bitter and he's so contemptuous of a lot of the people in the bar. Because he's seen them again and again and again, and he can't do anything to help them. It does seem like uh, the bartender is uh, dropping a bunch of hints, but not giving him any information as well. Just like with Sam, when he's talking about like, you never forget anything. He's like, oh, you know, like, you know, I don't drink and all this stuff. Like, yeah, I don't know. Seems like they're getting all chummy over there. So if we think of Stoppa as a leaper who's basically stuck in this limbo, then it makes a lot more sense that, you know, maybe GTFW would bring Sam in not only to sort of break Sam's preconceptions of what a leap should be or what a leap looks like, but also to maybe help other leapers. I, I think that Stoppa is also someone that Sam could become because I feel like he's just stuck in his own bitterness and um, he's got a lot of um, preconceptions based on his own past. Like um, he's be like, I, I'll load 24 tons a day, 16 tons, big deal. You know, it's like he's not really focused on the people there. He's still thinking in terms of his old life and how he would have done it and how things should be instead of looking at the situation and figuring out how things need to be solved. I, 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 I don't know where Stoppa comes from. That is a whole other discussion that we should have, but I just I just feel like if you look at this as more stop a story, the whole what the hell did I just watch begins to make a lot more sense because Sam is sort of sidelined uh, very deliberately, uh, except for some very key actions that he takes that stop is urging. So, um, but I think Stroppa being bitter 
and Strapa being sort of uh, contemptuous, maybe angry of the people around him, um, actually dovetails into why Sam is seeing so many doubles. So when you guys first saw this, what did you think about like all the doppelgangers that are in this bar that inhabit this space? I mean, uh, aside from the names, we have Mo Stein, we have Frank and Jimmy. The two boys outside the bar. Yeah, the two then- boys. Yeah, Dan Butler, wasn't he uh, Mr. Dorliak in uh, Southern Comforts? Exactly, yeah. Mm. So um, did you guys have any thoughts on why this place is populated with faces both strange yet familiar? This comes back to my uh, um, response (laughs) because because I don't spend too much time worrying about the reality of this because it's not real. Are these real people who Sam is being forced to see differently? Are they just completely fictional creations? Could be either. But it's, again, it's not something that I've put a lot of thought to because it's just, well, the the bar's not real. Why should Pete and Tonchi be real? And if they're going to be created, it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Chris, about there's, there's so much in there to throw Sam when he's... he's feels like he he understands everything let's just throw in some curveballs and showing him some familiar faces is quite a curveball allison did you have thoughts uh that's the way it is (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i Uh, mean uh it it all goes back to i it's it doesn't appear to be reality these are all things uh from sam's experiences um people that he's met uh people that he's helped I think that there are clues with these characters as to what might be going on. Uh, the fact that uh, the bartender says that time is funny here. Uh, and then when uh, he sees Gushy in the mirror and he's a young man in the mirror, but he's an old man next to him, time is fluid there. It's it's not one particular time because, I mean, there's the old and the young, like everything is all wonky. Um so it's kind of interesting, but yeah, I think the reason that he's seeing all these doubles is because it's it comes from Sam. Well, I got to say, for the longest time, the doubles thing just threw me for a loop. I was wondering why, why, except for, like you guys said, to throw a curveball to Sam. But I'm thinking, what kind of curveball are they throwing? What kind of message are they trying to get across here? And I think it's more recent experience now that has helped me sort of figure that out, where I don't think I would have had this this sort of perspective on it until very recently in my life. Um, I, I shifted careers and now I work in medicine. And um, a lot of times we see the same patients over and over and over again. And after a while, they all become the same patients. And <laughs> I, you know, there's, there's a fear of burnout and I'm just a paper pusher. Like I don't treat people. I just see them. I'm in the room when they're being treated and I just, you know, I, I document crap. But I, I can imagine if you're a practitioner Everybody starts to look the same. And and I got to think that this was um, GTFW's way of warning Sam against Mm. burnout, against preconceptions. Because after a while, if he leaps long enough, I think like all people and all problems will start to look samey-samey to him. And um, I think that this is God's way of saying, look, they look very much like someone that you knew. Um, they remind you of a certain leap that you might have done or something from your past, but they're not them. These are different individuals, and you have to get to know these individuals if you want to move forward, if you want to solve the leap. 
even if it's someone that you think of fondly, like Tanchi and Pete being Frank and Jimmy, they're not your friends. They're not your surrogate family. Evidence by Tanchi, like really, like stiff arming Stan, like don't talk about my brother, don't talk about me, just stay away. And it's sort of like a slap in the face because in all his years of leaping, I think that the LaMotta family is Sam's closest thing to a comfort zone. Yes. Aside from leaping back to Elk Snout, you know? And while they may appear the same to you, Sam, they're not. So just beware. Don't take certain things for granted. Don't get burned out because you think you've seen this problem before. Look at Stoffa over here. He thinks he's seen this problem a million times. He still can't figure out a way to solve it because he can't break out of his own misery, his own misconceptions, his his own idea of the way things should be. It's the only interpretation that that sort of makes sense to me at this point from a story and, and just from a creative perspective. I think, why are you writing it this way? There's got to be some kind of reason behind it. And that's that's the nearest I can come up with to it making sense in, in, in the context of the story. That has not only just blown my mind um, in, in that kind of, yes, that makes perfect sense sort of way. Um, but that also, that helps me understand one of the bits that really bothers me is that Sam is so stupid when he sees Tonchi, even though, yeah, all right, fine, he thinks he's Frank. He should know. Don't don't give him a hug and act like they've met, because clearly they've never really met. When they've met before, he's seen him as Jimmy. Sam thinking logically should not be acting like they're their best buds, but that is that that kind of that failing, that mistake um, that GFTW is trying to warn him against. And you you don't learn without making failings and mistakes. So it's kind of, yeah, when you put it like that, it is actually spelt out for us as an audience. Um, but I'd never really clocked it like that. Thank you. Well, you, you, that's what I'm here for, man. No, I mean, it's it's just <laughs> an interpretation. <laughs> I, I feel like it makes sense. It's an interpretation that, as I say, not only makes sense within itself, but it just it also answers that bit that bothers me, which is why, why Sam's stupid. And fine, it is a stupid moment. But for, from a point of view of development, sometimes you've got to have a character do something dumb so that they go, ah, okay, I've learned something. And I couldn't really figure out what, what he was learning there. What was the point of that? Yeah, and I think to me, it's just, it's another object lesson of do not rely on your past experiences or your preconceptions. Yeah. Because that will yeah. fail you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So. Ooh. Ooh. Cool. With all of that, I think it was still wonderful to see these people who we know very specifically from Quantum Leap in different roles. I think especially the late, great Richard Hurd was a real bright spot. Uh, Ziggy. Yeah, I liked the bit where they called back to uh, to Future Boy, where uh, they're drinking him and Sam, uh, yes. and then they like drink at the same yeah. time and then wipe their mouth simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. Was that in Future Boy? I'd never, I'd never made that connection. Yeah. Yeah, when they're all eating dinner together, they do that. Well, that's cute. The upside down chicken. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That but I mean, too. but that's that's another curveball. I mean, we have another name that Sam knows that he relies on for a certain thing, and this is a Ziggy who's so dumb he can't even spell his own name. And it's just like, well, okay, yeah, again, you're not where you come from. Let all of that go. As you've pointed out, Ziggy is pretty dumb. <laughs> the real Ziggy. <laughs> well, Ziggy is inconsistently intelligent. I think they were picking out favorite and important leaps 
and putting them in there because they were favored and important either to Sam or behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, this is something exploring Sam and his leaps over the years. I think that's why they all looked like people, but they weren't. Yeah, behind the scenes, you've got to accept that this was a possibly series finale. Let's do a bit of a greatest hits tour. Hmm. Yeah, because it wouldn't make sense if they all were the characters they were before. They wouldn't all just be in this mining town in 1953. Yeah, that makes no sense at all, which is why I say this is uh, some kind of pocket reality. Um, (laughs) As much as Quantum Leap makes sense in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) Thank you. They also had a, a cameo from uh, James Whitmore Jr. as the policeman. He showed up again. Mm, yeah. He's one of the ones who's played the most characters, I think. One of the most characters. Because he was like the policeman here. He was in Trilogy. He was in Eight and a Half Months. Which Outside of all the play? ones he's directed. When you say the policeman, was that the, the sidekick for Mr. Collins? or the the one that was stopping them from getting into the mines and then they uh then yeah. Sam told him about the papers and then the papers fell down the shaft well as you heard Mr. Collins the shaft is closed until the mine is ventilated he changed his mind Mr. Collins don't change his mind well he does when the head of the bureau of mines talks to him i call my boss in pittsburgh he spoke to Mr. Collins and convinced him to rescind his order you did that on purpose you dropped this paper on purpose which i think like sam made it look like he did it right just to get him out of there yeah yeah yeah, you dropped that you go go get that get out of here holy crap mike genovese was the don in double identity who played collins in the mine yeah I, yeah, I forgot I, about I that. Yes, another yet another. This is the first oh. time I've ever put that together. Yet another freaking doppelganger. Jesus Christ! That was the first proper episode that they filmed after the pilot was Double Identity. Ah, well, you guys witnessed my mind being blown right here, making yet another connection that I never have. Uh, everybody saying thank you, Captain Obvious. Okay, we can move along. What interests <laughs> me though is we're, we're starting to talk now about the fact there's kind of there's two levels of. Uh, repeat casting here. You've got the ones where they get the the full-on sepia-tinted flashbacks clearly in the script. This is going to be the the person that Sam's going to recognise. And then you've got a whole bunch of actors that Sam doesn't recognise. The the directorial choices do not suggest that we're meant to recognise them. They're just actors that have been used in the past. And yeah, I'd forgotten about him. Because Donna Belisario likes them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, he doesn't recognise God, Al, the bartender, from the the pilot episode. Right. That's the one I wanted to ask about, because that's the one that I so often see fans debating and saying, well, yeah, obviously, that must have meant that God was there on his first leap, and that was God. (laughs) But I don't think there's anything in the scripting, or I think it's coincidental casting, just the same as Dan Butler and Mike Genovese, and it's just, okay, these are people that Belisario's worked with before, and put them in after the script was written, not that this was ever the actual intention. 
Well, that wasn't the intention, obviously, when they, they did the pilot. Uh, Donald Belisario hired him, I believe, because in the first place, because he looked like his dad. And that's mm. why he brought him back to play God, because mm. the, they have that picture where he's sticking his stomach out to look fat. That is yes. just Donald Belisario's dad. And this whole episode, I mean, really, if you're trying to interpret this uh, from a story perspective, there's lots of different things you can uh, go into, like uh, why this is happening to Sam, where they are, all this. But if you're looking at it like, why was this episode made? Why are things like this? It's because Donald Belisario was recreating his father's bar. But you get within any TV show, but it definitely happens in Quantum Leap a few times, you get actors recurring. And we're just supposed to assume that the lead character just doesn't happen to notice that they look identical. We might do outside the fiction, but within the fiction, it's it's not the case. So... The question I have is, should Sam have recognized God? Should he have recognized him from the pilot? Or is it just that that's, as with Dan Butler, etc., is it just a recurring actor and a coincidence? Because clearly Tonchi and Pete were recognized and that was the whole point of them. But And he might have recognized Dan Butler as Dorliac had that been a leap that made more of an impression on him. I feel like he, he came to some kind of real affinity with Mo Stein because Mo was sort of like him. Had he not gotten into the accelerator chamber or had he not gotten his project to work? Mm. So I feel like, like Mo is a much more personal leap for him, which is why he recognized Mo. Same thing with Taunchy and Pete. Whether or not he was going to remember, um, Bruce McGill as Doc, I forget which Doc he was, what his name was, and then equate that with, with him being God and saying, but you were there in the beginning. Um, no, I don't think that he was supposed to recognize that. I think that that was just casting, like Allison said, because Don likes Bruce McGill and wants him there. But you make a very valid point, um, and fans, I guess, have been saying this, but I never considered it until now because we're going to be watching Genesis at some point <laughs> in the future. You can't stop me from trying to figure out and trying to say that that is God there at Sam's first leap. Um, yeah. I'm going to watch it specifically with that lens. So I'm just warning everybody that I might piss some fans mm. off out there who don't hold to that, to that interpretation because it just, to me, even though it's a retcon would make wonderful sense in universe just to give the series yeah. a sense of yeah. completion. <laughs> you don't really think I'm God, do you? <laughs> we get through all of this stuff and you think that it's confusing enough. And then we get the main twist of the episode, the revelation that Sam is sleeping himself. Mm -hmm. And again, when I was sitting watching it the first time, I was like, what are they talking about? So, and um, now that I've watched this, you know, dozens of times, it, it makes a lot more sense to me um, that they revealed it when they did, because it's almost like um, God, fate, time, whatever is easing Sam into all of these new shifts. And he's like, oh, you think it's confusing now? Well, wait a minute. I mean, because um, I think that, that that revelation comes shortly after one of my favorite scenes. I'd like to take a chance. Cost you a nickel. You might hit the jackpot. What's the jackpot? Ten bucks. And the answer to your question. You mean that? Yes. So why am I here, Al? Did you hit the jackpot? No. 
guess you'll just have to figure that out for yourself, Sam. It's like him saying, maybe once in a blue moon, you'll get somebody that can lay out for you like your Al does. This is who you're here to help. This is what you're here to fix. And this is what you got to do to leap. But that is not going to be the norm moving forward. You're going to have to just figure it out for yourself. And, um, oh, not only that, you're going to be putting yourself into those situations because it's you leaping you. If anything from this episode blew my mind within universe, it was that. Just a, a small note on that scene. I love the fact that Sam, who is such an honest, decent, upstanding guy, tries so badly to lie and then immediately <laughs> backs down. <laughs> the bit where he's like, so, all right, you, you're going to tell me why, you're leap- why, why I'm leaping? Did you win the jackpot? No. <laughs> I love that's just adorable. Nice try, Sam. Nice try. Sorry, I know that's not the point you were making. I just no, no, I moment. just think it's, yeah, I, I love that little moment too. Because it's almost like he hedges. Like, you're going to tell me? You're going to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Allison, I feel like we're just not giving you a chance to open your mouth. No, uh, you know, I felt like I, I had a point at some point and I lost it. I don't know. I, I brought up in the past before um, <laughs> that sometimes uh, I just, I don't have fun interpreting this episode <laughs> because it gets interpreted so much. But I'm it, like, sometimes I get to the point where I'm like, it ain't that deep. <laughs> it ain't that deep, but at the same time, like I, do, I do like going over like what could this be with you guys. So it's like I, I don't want to poo-poo it, especially because this is we're talking about this episode. You have to interpret what's going on because it's not a straightforward episode at all. So I don't know. Um, this a lot of this was like a therapy kind of thing, uh, for Donald Belisario. Um, and some of it was uh Sam working through some therapy in his head. Uh. I don't know, just uh, a lot of weird stuff going on. I don't know why Al knows to think it's to search for Sam's birthday. Like some sort of, he just has a gut <laughs> feeling. Search for Sam's birthday. Yeah. Um, I think everything back at the project is somewhat problematic. Some of the new lore that they introduce is a little problematic. I guess that this was Don's way of trying to illustrate that Sam and Al are destined to be connected. I mean, he said it before, um, regardless, especially regardless of what happens at the end of this leap. Um, it, it would have significantly changed Al's life um, and did. But Don says, but Sam and Al were always destined to meet. That's one thing that will never change in history. So maybe that's why Al had that inexplicable um, insight into where to begin looking. We will definitely come on to a big discussion about the ending. Probably not yet though, right? But just as a spoiler alert, I completely disagree with that interpretation. Even though I know Don has gone on record and said that, I'm absolutely convinced they were not destined to uh, meet up, but probably not a discussion for right now. Well, I mean, we, we, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that because I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to discuss um, in, wow. Uh, just so much. But um, Allison, you had brought up my other favorite part of this episode of that's the way it is. And I think that your interpretation is is exactly what my interpretation has always been in the sense that um, that's the way it is, is sometimes the best possible explanation. Number one, because you don't see the bigger picture, Sam. And number two, it's just like, you're going to go, you're going to maybe be yourself. You're going to be someone anonymous. 
Um, you're going to do your job. You're going to have a positive effect, we hope. You're going to leap out and no one will remember you afterwards. And that's the way it is. That's how Quantum Leap's always been. You try to explain anything and it's like, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. I guess that's just the way it is. <laughs> like, how was he going to have a baby? I don't know. That's just the way it is. <laughs> like, you have to you have to just say, like, I don't know. Forget it. There are no rules. It's magic. <laughs> <laughs> he he could have a baby because it was her body there. But anyway. Um, they say uh, it in the episode. Oh. You can't say Stop that in, when they state in the episode that it's Sam's body. Don't even. Uh, I'm seeing a head of curls here. I blew out my microphone saying that, but listen. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> listen, they say it in the episode. We can have this debate till the end of we time, will. but they state it in the episode. <laughs> we will have this debate because that's the way it is. That's yeah. the way it is. But I think that that's also sort of cold water in Sam's face. Him being told that you are going to have to be even more altruistic than you already have been. Um, remember those times when you used to say, I'm not doing it anymore, or um, it's not fair, Al? Well, guess what? It's going to be even more not fair because, you know, the people <laughs> at least that you leapt into would come back and there might be some sort of continuity of, of you know, the deed being rewarded. At least somebody would be rewarded for the deed, even if it wasn't Sam, if he had moved on. But now it just seems like you're going to appear out of nowhere and disappear into nothingness. And people won't even be able to say, who was that masked man? They'll be like, what masked man? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it is yeah. really the epitome of selflessness. Well, I don't think Sam did it for, for credit anyway, because he was like, no one ever knew it was Sam. Like maybe one or two people, exceptions, but um, he was always someone else. But I think that's the way it is. It's got to be like the most frustrating answer to a scientist, right? Oh, yeah. What, yes. what is this? Yeah. What's going on? Uh -huh. That's the way it is. Why? That's the way it is. <laughs> tell me. Tell me how this works. But I like to, you know, when, when Al says, he tells him point blank, um, I, don't, I don't think you're ready for more, which is his nice way of saying, I don't think you're smart enough, at least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and for someone like Sam, that, that's got to be a real slap in the face. Sam's overachiever, scientist, extraordinaire, wonder kid. Like, I'm ready for more. <laughs> tell me. Come on, tell me. Ooh, ooh, teacher, I'm in the front row raising my hand all the time. I have the answers. <gasps> Do this stupid thing with the fruit. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> that's the audience, too. We're Sam. We're like, tell us the answers. <laughs> you said in the preview... All the questions would be answered. You didn't answer anything. It depends what your questions are. <laughs> My questions are, how does it feel to shoot a water-cooled 50? <laughs> why, does, why doesn't Sam, maybe because it's been so long since he saw himself, he seems surprised when he sees his face. Like, he's like, oh, I have, like, I have white in my hair. I have crow's feet. He had those when he leapt. Yes. He always had those. Some Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese. Swiss cheesed. It's like Al said, I always thought of myself as the same skinny kid. It took this picture to wake me up. Yeah, he thought he was like 12 years old because he's always <laughs> being called kid. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like in my mid-30s. Technically, if you go by the actual dates, I'm in my 40s. It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, and we know we know now that, that white streak is genetic, so he's presumably had it like all his life. Well, right? unless you unless you go with the book canon, then he was hit in the head yes. with a gun or something. 
but either way, that that white hairline, it sounds like it was written as if to say, oh, yeah, I've aged, but he's not. I mean, he has. He has, but not in that way. Yeah. In Sam's defense, the last time he actually did see himself in a mirror, he was 16 years old. So You know what? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I, I do love that scene, though. I love, like, just the significance of him seeing his face again and just feeling his face in that, like, moment. Back up, back up. I do I do love that moment. But no, are you saying he didn't look in a mirror at all when he leapt back to the project at the start of season four? He didn't remember that. He leapt and then um, it was like he was starting again. Yeah, he didn't remember Donna. Why would he remember? Yeah. Can we talk mm. about Donna, please? <laughs> Yeah, can we? <laughs> okay, Sam never returns home. <laughs> Donna is just left behind. Whether or not you interpret if he's in contact with Al anymore, you can decide for yourself. But like, he never sees Donna again. And this is like, and I talked about this in the leap back. She's only there because of Sam's actions. She was screwed over by Sam's selfishness. I'm sorry. I'm going to say this before Chris does. What someone needs to do is write a cracking piece of fanfic hmm. where after the final leap, <laughs> Sam then takes another leap to make sure that uh, Donna's destiny is changed and none of that ends up happening. I wish somebody would do that. Yeah, he leaps to make sure that she doesn't trust men. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> actually, they will all leave you. <laughs> Chris, I haven't actually... I haven't read that for a while, so maybe Chris can remind me what it's called. But... Uh, somewhere between Limbo and Lightning. Yes. What? Lovely, what is this? Lovely piece. I, I was referring to a short piece of fanfic that Chris wrote. Oh, okay. It's really good. I just couldn't remember the name. This was about uh, Donna? Yeah, it takes place right after Mirror Image. Right after he leaps away from Beth, he leaps into another situation where he makes it so that he doesn't leave Donna on the hook. Oh, okay. See, I, I would have loved if there was some sort of conclusion there involving yes. Donna, because it, it just feels like th that also is, is part of the reason I don't like the leap back as much as I would like to, because I, I just feel like they, they do her character so dirty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's, yeah, there's really no, no denying that that is um, one of the nadirs of Sam's progression as a character is the fact that, you know, he leaves the wreckage that is Donna Lisi in his wake. Especially if you think about it, I mean, the fact that Dr. Sam Beckett never returns home and Al states to him specifically, you will do this only as long as you want to. That's it, you know? And apparently he always wanted to. Yeah. So I, I got to think Sam being Sam, which is why I wrote that story, he would find some way to do right by her you would hope because i think like um you know as uh, as mixed of a reception as the ending got it is very sam beckett to just be like i have to keep helping people yes yeah that's exactly why i i love it it's as, as you say that line you know you'll do this as long as you want to and then very closely followed up by that title card I walked away from that feeling very satisfied, thinking, yeah, that is very Sam. Yeah. I mean, it's perfectly in keeping with the character that we've grown to love over the last five years. So, I mean, just the pesky Donna thing aside. And I don't think Don was thinking of Donna when he wrote this. Clearly not. I mean, we, we had scenes in the future, and she wasn't even there. So yeah. She'd been sidelined very much. 
See, now that we're getting into sort of more of the what if, like how could they have made the back at the project stuff a little bit stronger? And just even a scene with Mimi would have, I think, um, gone a long way Mm -hmm. to fixing that one glaring omission. I mean, I I would say there are two glaring omissions in this finale, but um, that being one of the key ones. And grown up Sammy Joe, of course. I feel like the scenes at the project really show what the budget was like at that time yes i feel like they spent all of their money on the the mining portions which they should have uh but it feels super rinky dink in the control center they don't even have lights because they're disguising the fact they have no set it looks dank it looks sad there's no hallways they don't have those sets anymore uh and then if you look at the scene where al's entering the imaging chamber uh after uh gushy tells him how long the nano search is gonna be dean stockwell has like a foot of space before he hits that blue screen. He goes in there and you look at where the feet are, like his feet are and where the like thing ends. Like he's about to walk into a wall. <laughs> it's real sad. So guys, this is, this is what this, these scenes always remind me of um, the final season of Doctor Who. So you, you may or may not be familiar with this, but Doctor Who had been running for 25 years by 1988. And the TARDIS console room was in a state and they just trashed it. And then it got renewed for a 26th season. <laughs> and they purposely, in that whole year, they wrote one scene in the TARDIS. And for the, the, the round walls, they just got a big, I don't know if it was a photographic blow up or a, <laughs> a blanket that they just <laughs> coloured in. Um, they shot it all in extreme close up and turned the lights right down. Even though the TARDIS is usually at that point lit very brightly in very bright white lights, mm-hmm. it's extremely dark just to cover up the <laughs> fact that it is basically in the very corner of one of the studios very quickly because they had no set. And that's that always comes to mind when I see this episode. The exact same reason you kind of you're watching it thinking, where the hell were you filming this and with what? It's such a shame. Well, it's the blue screen. It, they're filming it on the blue screen like they always have. That's where the, the waiting room is. That's where they've, uh, I'm sure, built the sets that they had for the future when they had them. Uh, it's it's looking like the command center in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with the little twinkle lights and stuff. Like, <laughs> it's... <laughs> they've got Deborah Pratt on hand. They could have done a Ziggy voiceover. But if they had a Ziggy voiceover, you would have expected to have seen Ziggy. They could have cut to that footage. They had footage of the the ball up above. Yeah. Well, I mean, they just had like a close up of like the ball on the ceiling. They could have cut to that and done it if they wanted to. But true, true. Or they even could have just had Al wearing a wrist link because Sam could hear Ziggy through the wrist link in the leap back. So, I mean, you didn't even have to cut to stock footage of the orb. Yeah, but it it just feels very small, and um, it, that's also one of the things that like it, I'm kind of let down by the episode yeah. uh, with Al's portion of it because even though so much of the episode comes back to Al, obviously Al's story is very important to the story. Al in the present day or the future, however you interpret that, um, he's he's barely there. Yeah. And mm. then when he leaves, he just says, "We're gonna get you out of this, Sam." And then that's the last time that he talks to Sam on screen. That's the last time we even see him on screen uh, outside of the the cut ending. I love the fact that it's just such a quiet. They don't get a, a big goodbye or anything like that. It's it's such a 
Yeah, I, I, I find myself very moved by that, that his final thing is to reassure Sam, we're going to get you, and then they, they don't. But the fact that they they cut out the stuff that, from the ending, and then that's the last time you see Al, it just feels so unsatisfying to me. Like, I don't know. I just, I wish there had been like a little something more yeah. that we'd seen of Al than that. I, I feel like this was a byproduct of them finding out at the 11th hour that they weren't going to get a season six. So they just had to um, scramble with the script that they had and use the scenes basically because maybe they didn't have time for a rewrite to, to button up that Al thing because the Al portion of the episode is the one real disappointment that I have with it. Uh, I, I think that they gave Dean – um, very little to do. What he did have to do was kind of thankless. And he had no real place in um, Sam's evolution. Now, you can say in universe, in story, with what Sam's going through, that's actually necessary. He can have a place because then Sam won't learn the lessons he needs to to move to the next stage. But at the same time, it does a great disservice to a relationship that has been the heart and soul mm-hmm. of the show since yeah. episode one. So... It makes much more sense in the light of the lost footage that you discovered, Allison, that um, they could end Al there in that scene because they were going to have the final scene with him and Beth back at the project and Al saying, I will find him. And mm-hmm. and this is, you know, and I'm resolute, I'm determined. Even if that was the series finale, if that was the last scene, at least you had an ending for Al as well. The other thing that annoyed me is that Sam is throwing a lot of stuff at him, admittedly. And this is where Sam starts to break down. It's always where mm-hmm. I start to break down emotionally is when Sam is just fucking losing it. One of the miners in there is most time. Captain Galaxy. Remember Captain Galaxy? Only here. His, his name's Ziggy. And, and Frank and Jimmy LaMotta are in there. Only here. Their names are Tanchi and Pete. And there's a guy named Gushy in there with a long beard. <laughs> But he doesn't look anything like our uh, Gushy, right? Sam. But he's got the same bad breath. Sam, uh, I, th- I think we'd better get you out of here. No, Al, please. Please, everything I'm telling you is the truth. Uh, yeah, uh, you haven't been leaped around by God of fate or time. Uh, no, you've been leaped by a bartender. He's finally able to just, like, vomit all of this weird shit to Al. And Al, like, weird, dumb, superstitious Al comes out again. Mm. Uh, yeah, 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 bartender. Uh, what, what do you mean? It's like he's just there almost to be like a foil against what Sam is saying. He's not being understanding. He's just being obtuse. He's just being uh, almost com- not, not combative, but they're not in, well, not in sync. You, you know, <laughs> imagine that you're Al in that scenario. It would be like when he leapt into the asylum and like Sam is just not himself. He's rambling about all yeah. of this stuff. He hasn't been experiencing anything Sam's experienced. For all he knows, he like hit his head when he came in. He's got a concussion or something. Like he thinks his friend is like really not well. Which is also why it's a, a weird scene to end on. There are parts I really like about that scene. Like when um, Al is explaining, uh, he's like, yeah, I know it's job on me. And it's like, I have like uh, an uncle. And then um, Sam asks him about the arthritis and Sam just starts laughing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At him saying that his uncle is disabled. And he's like, it's not funny. Oh, but it is. Strapa is Steve in Russian. And I know what it means. I've got an uncle named Strapa. Does he have, um, 
uh, rheumatoid arthritis, Al. Yeah, this guy, this guy, this guy won't twist it up like a pretzel. It's not funny. Oh, but it is. Why? <laughs> I don't know, Al. It just... <laughs> and, like, that, that great juxtaposition there yeah. of, like, it's just... Everything is so insane that Sam is just laughing about it because that's all you can do at that point. And I think that that was Dean's best delivery in in the episode is that he's why. Like, it's just this plaintive why, like what is happening yeah. here. The tone of that why was spot on. It was yeah, just an amazing little bit of work between the two of them. So obviously Al is at sea here. I said, uh, just take it easy. Uh, I'm going to go back and figure this out with Ziggy. But I'm going to get you out of this. Whatever it takes, I'll, I'll get you out of this. There, there could have been so much more at the project, but I think that we got some really neat things at the project. Regardless, I think there were some neat additions to the lore here. Um, the way the imaging chamber works. This is the first time mm-hmm. we've seen that. Now, yeah. I want to ask you guys. This whole spiral cone thing descending around Al like some kind of weird 3D guardian of forever. (laughs) Do you think that that is the normal way he walks into the imaging chamber or is this just because they could not achieve a lock? No, I I think this is the nano search they're talking about. I don't think this is the normal way that they did it. Okay. Because otherwise, I think anytime Al came onto the scene, he would have been like half spinning around. <laughs> yes. like, oh, there you are. <laughs> well, when we saw, um, granted, this was the, the exit, we saw Sam leaving the imaging chamber and leap back and it just fades out. Which I would think if you were looking at a holographic uh, surrounding, that's how that would work. Mm. So I, I think they, they, they say it in the episode that it's a nano search and Al is acting nauseous, which doesn't seem like a normal thing. Right. Like every episode, he's not yeah. having these swirling things around him. Yeah. And so, okay. So we are, I guess, then in agreement that this is just a special case presented in this circumstance. It's not yes. the normal. Because I'm also thinking they always know where Sam is before Al goes into the Im- imaging chamber. So they, Ziggy could probably create something from Sam's point of view. That Al could just walk right into, which is what apparently it's been throughout the series. So, right. yeah, the stuff swirling around him is is just them searching through time, right? Searching through stock footage, like it's <laughs> it's just cycling through footage yes. from the show, trying to find him. <laughs> searching through stock footage of Reagan and uh, airplanes, and <laughs> yeah, ooh. you know what that. <sighs> I, I like the effect and I don't because it's messy. And I think part of that is budget and part of that is the time that this was made because just seeing all of those edges where the screen ends, like floating around him, like I would love if there was some sort of dissolve there so it didn't look <laughs> quite so hard and, and like a television screen. Yeah, yeah. Or just more of a contiguous wall of time. Yeah. The other thing that we learned is that Ziggy can see far into the future. Look, look, we scanned all of Dr. Beckett's birthdays from 1954 through the end of the 21st century, and wherever he is, it's not his birthday. Mm. (sighs) How? I guess that means Sam is still alive somehow to the end of the 21st century? What? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) because if there was a season six, they would have done some of that stuff. That's why. 
Well, I mean, also this, okay, this brings me to the budget thing and the future thing together. I do wonder if they had started or built that future bar set from that ending that was in the script that may or may not have been filmed, but Matt confirmed was uh, on the docket to be filmed. It was on the shooting script that uh, was like a couple of days before they started filming. So, yeah, surely they must have at least budgeted for the um, the space bar. And I, I don't know how long it takes to build a set, but they must have budgeted for it. I, I have to believe if it was on the shooting script, they had to have started making it and making costumes. I mean, you wouldn't like the day before start making that set. No. So I don't know when they canceled it, but sometime between the sometime on the like seven, eight day shooting that they had for this episode, I wonder if that cut into the budget that they could have used for the project or for the bar stuff or anything. Yeah, that that makes sense. So I've been trying to figure out why a, a show that pretty much all set on one set with a, a couple of other small ones, why they struggled with the project. But yeah, you're quite right. The space bar would definitely have been there somewhere even if it never got used yeah i imagine they would have utilized the bar set they had and maybe had a way to convert it or something yes if like maybe that was the idea maybe that would have saved some money too like they're using the same set but they would have converted it to whatever tinsel back to the future 2 kind of <laughs> thing they wanted to turn it into <laughs> how awesome would that have been but uh same pinball machines in the bag you know what i would have dug it <laughs> I'm not sure it would be a good ending, but I would have dug it. <laughs> Everybody's just wearing weird jackets and shiny hats. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, okay, I do want to explain to people listening about this future bar ending, because not everyone uh, might have been following the whole saga with this. Some of the scripts for the final episode had a scene at the end uh, after Al leaps to go find Sam, uh, where he ends up in the body of a woman in the future. Uh, like he's leaped in and so there's like a wah wah ending which is setting up season six which would have had uh, al leaping after sam and that was something that uh, like we said matt found in the shooting schedule yeah uh scheduled to be done and i've just checked so that the um the copy of the shooting schedule i've got is dated 23rd of february which is also shoot day one so right up to the point of filming they had Day eight, which was going to be the hidden ending that Allison discovered, and also the uh, the space bar. This was uh, Richard Hurd's shooting script, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. The late great Richard Hurd, friend of the show. So Al's place was on stage twenty one. Okay, that's interesting. The final the final uh, sequence in Al's place in the fifties. Um, was going to be shot on stage 21, but the space bar does not have a stage number assigned to it. Mm. Um, so to the point of at which I, I agree with, it makes perfect sense they would have just reused the set and covered it with a load of tinfoil. They might have been hedging their bets because they hadn't actually assigned a stage number. But they had decided that they wanted 20 space warriors as extras. Um, they, they needed beer and whiskey. Uh, they needed a blonde bombshell. And some futuristic cassabas. <laughs> the um the space warriors were going to be the miners. The miners, yeah, yeah, they were going to reuse them. My thoughts are they didn't film this scene, but they had to have been 
costuming people because it takes time to make costumes. They had to have been thinking about what they were going to do for the set if they were going to redress that set or if they were, I guess, because it didn't have a stage number, maybe they didn't have a plan for it. And they're like, if we get renewed, we'll do this. If we don't, just nix it. Could be. That seems the more pragmatic. Yeah. But ultimately, 23rd of February, they were saying that they were going to film this on 4th of March. So it had to have been budgeted for, surely. Yeah. It's too too tight a time frame. I'd love to think that it was filmed, though. I'd love to think that was filmed and one day we'll get to see it. But I'm with you, Alison. Probably not. I would have loved to see it. I would have loved to know what this costume was they had in mind for Al. Did they like start uh, doing the measurements with Dean Stockwell for that costume, or <laughs> did Jacqueline Saint Anne bring him in and like, all right, <laughs> we got to get the future dress for you? <laughs> I, I always saw it as just sort of like um, a tinfoil jumpsuit, you know, like a futuristic yes. silver uh, jumpsuit. That zipped up. I imagine and there it would, would be have like a plunging neckline, yeah. yeah, or like a boob hole, maybe <laughs> in the middle of <laughs> it. more into superhero territory, though. <laughs> it would be it. Well, no, because uh, Tina had a boob hole. Oh, so. that's true. <laughs> oh, you didn't know Tina's a superhero <laughs> in her like futuristic uh, silvery dress. So yeah, maybe I would uh, have uh, the Tina special on. <laughs> boob window. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Why did Goldfinger become Boob Window? I don't know, because it had the same amount of syllables. You've now ruined that film for me. They would have the same boob windows as like those uh, the Klingon sisters in Star Trek. Lursa and Bator. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's number two. Ding. Ding. Got one to go. Yeah, well, I saw you put in the in the notes, Sam's a fake! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to, Stephen McCaddy plays Stoppa, who also played uh, Romulan on Deep Space Nine, who is famous for a, a scene where he goes, it's a fake! It's a fake! <laughs> it was so good. And I think I've even used that as a drop. We've discussed this on the show a couple of times before, but uh, it's just such a meme. Yeah, I was going to say, more famous as an internet meme now than in the actual episode itself. <laughs> Stephen McHattie is great, though. He's He does yes. that line so good. And, like, I've never seen him in something and been like, oh, no, not him. Like, I always enjoy watching him. He's very uh, Lance Henriksen-ish. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I always kind of confuse the two sometimes. Uh, both very good, though. Well, and his, his, his portrayal of Stopper. Um, was was central to this episode because Strapa is uh, arguably the third lead since Dean isn't barely in the episode. I mean, so you have Sam, you have Bruce McGill, and you have Stephen McCaddy. And I think that um, Strapa, he was he was abrasive. He was a jerk, but he was always interesting. And McCaddy figured out how to sort of walk that line and bring that character to life in a way that you were interested in him instead of just tired of him. And... There's a, I don't know, maybe it's just a byproduct of the makeup that they gave him, but the fact that he just supposedly turned 40 when he looks like, you know, he's in his 60s, I guess is supposed to say a lot about like the hard life he's had. But I think it was just his demeanor that made him look so old and, and, and craggy. Um, his last scene when he raises the Pepsi bottle to Sam and he gives him that giant smile like that, thank you, I can finally move mm. on. It takes 20 years off of his appearance. 
And um, I don't know if McCaddy was just saving it for that scene. Like he was purposely like being all like drawn and tight and closed so that it would be such a transformation once he left. Maybe that's something he discussed with James Whitmore Jr. Um, as part of the direction. But I just thought that even he could almost transform himself physically in this. He was just brilliant in it. I love him in this. Well, he, he was. I mean, like, I, I don't know how much makeup they used on his face, but I mean, clearly like uh Stephen McCaddy uh doesn't have the same disability as Stoppa. He doesn't have arthritis or anything uh, as far as I know. So he he's he's just hunched over. It's he's just acting these mannerisms out um but you believe yeah that he is this character. Since we've come back around to Stoppa and Stoppa being um, evidently dead um, I wanted to discuss this aspect of, of the finale because it's one I've never actually discussed with fans. Is Sam dead? Can you guys like maybe just give me sort of the, the rundown of what the arguments in support of that say? Because it's not, it's not an aspect I've ever really delved into when it comes to, you know, um, analyzing this episode. But I know it's a big theory in fandom. Well, my thoughts are, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> like, no. I'm sorry, like, it just, there's just too much stuff that wouldn't make sense if he was dead. I mean, I guess if you look at anything in Quantum Leap, it doesn't really make sense. You have to do your own interpretations. But all the stuff with Al, it, it just doesn't make sense to me if Sam's dead. Maybe you could say he's a spirit leaping into people or something but it's, it still doesn't i don't know sam i mean obviously sometimes it seems written like it's his mind sometimes it's like his body but like he feels pain he gets hurt he could die uh if he was supposed to be dead all along then it kind of takes away any of the the tension of any of the episodes wondering is sam gonna be okay because he's dead the whole time it just doesn't, it, I don't know, doesn't seem like a good interpretation to me. I, I don't think it's a good interpretation either. And I mean, for me, it never even became a question of was he dead the whole series? It's Did he somehow die between Memphis Melody and coming to this place? <laughs> I'm just imagining, he could, put him up, Elvis. <laughs> Elvis didn't die, you became a leaper. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, um, so Matt, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you've been in the fan community a long time as well, and you sort of wrote the book about the series. Can you outline the argument here, or is it just something that people said, well, obviously he's dead because Stoppa's dead? Is there is there more to it, is what I want to know. Yeah, I think there's, there's that and um, Angelita. Uh, as well as there's the kind of the parallel there. There's been two parallels he's had now with characters who are dead. I quite like... I, I'm drawn to the idea that he has been somehow dead the whole series, but there is not enough evidence in support of that, and there's plenty of evidence particularly leap back uh, against that. So I personally, I don't buy it, but I kind of I want to. And I've I've spent more time than I should trying to figure out how to justify that he is, um, but I yeah I, it just does not seem plausible unless like you say it's literally just happened just after he leaps out of Elvis uh, <laughs> now he's dead. I mean, you could also make the argument that like he's alive, but after he dies, he can continue leaping. 
Like yeah. ghosts just continue, angels, spirits, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just continue helping people for eternity. Or if you go with uh, Angelita's uh, uh, story that she tells Sam, um, Stopa could be someone who died who has to make up for the way they live their life. Uh, they weren't a very good person, so now they have to help people. That Angelita's kind of thing. She was a little bit full of herself, and now she's got to kind of make things right for people. Uh, it's possible that maybe that's a separate sort of situation. Yeah, could be. That's where I was going with uh, maybe Stoppa. I I have no problem thinking that he's dead um, because we're in some kind of weird pocket dimension where, you know, normal rules don't apply. So why not commingle, especially if it's God, fate, time or whatever, pulling the strings, why not commingle a dead leaper with a live leaper? Mm. I mean, his story fits with Angelita's too. When yep. she left that time, no one remembered her. Yeah, not even Sam. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other character in there who is a leaper is Gushy. Uh, anyway, a, a leaper that we know about, that we've seen is evidently somebody who looks like somebody else. But this seems like it's more of a traditional leaper, so, someone like Sam, who's in somebody else's aura. Wait, yeah. Gushy's a leaper? Yeah, oh, because of the mirror yeah, thing? Yeah, because when he looks in, he's a young man. So I got to think that- But that's not- I don't know. I just took that as some sort of weird time thing and not like he's a different person. But... Uh, see, now I, I looked at that as yet another wrinkle in types of leaper. Like, Is he just surrounded by leapers? Are they all leapers? They might be. They're all leapers mm. in the bar, but no one knows the other one's a leaper. <laughs> and then they become the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea this is just a bar full of leapers. Well, I mean, explain that scene where Gushy looks in the mirror and Sam sees a different reflection. I mean, I told you my thoughts on that one. But yeah, I mean, that's not a bad interpretation either. I just don't see... He didn't seem to be doing anything that's moving the story forward like a leaper, but no, it's... no, I think he's on his own journey, and maybe you know, mm. and this is what this is why I thought of that because literally, the second after Stoppa leaps out, Gushy walks in, as in mm. God Fate Time, whatever is teeing up the next one for Sam to help, maybe indirectly move on but he was in there earlier yeah I know but um you know I think we we were more concentrated on the Stoppa thing this time. Yeah, just he was in the bar before, so if he was queuing up the next one, he was already in the bar. Yeah, I know. Listen, at one point. Ah, uh, but may- maybe that was real gushy <laughs> in the bar earlier, and and now that, now that young guy, they just leapers just gush- keep leaping into people in this <laughs> yeah. bar. That's right, brilliant. So and he s- wasn't a leaper in the beginning, but he was a leaper at the end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and what we don't see is there's a there's a holographic observer whispering in his ear saying, Yeah, Stopper died in thirty three. <laughs> died in thirty three. Tell him that, tell him yeah. that. You know, and those little kids that are <laughs> fixing up the bike out front leapers for sure. Yeah, they had to fix that flat, fix otherwise the they won't leap. That went wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is a shitty leap. I gotta fix a bike. What? You fix a tire? Can I at least get a drink in the bar? Oh shit, I'm 12. <laughs> Why do I have to fix that? Yeah, they actually, they can never fix their thing because they can't get in the bar, so they can never do the test. They're like, let us in. And the bartender's like, no. I, it's already illegal that I'm running this whole thing in liquor in this state anyway. 
And again, another observer out there saying, you know, well done for fixing that bike. 20 years from now, that bike is going to become a famous bike <laughs> and, uh, and and get married to another bike and have little little baby bikes, little trikes, maybe. Oh, this this is like Leaper Babies, right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, yeah. I'm going to bring things back around. I have a question involving leapers, like a legit question sure, here. Sure. So, uh, at the very end, after uh, Sam has talked to Beth, they pan over to the picture, and suddenly it's uh, Dean Stockwell, or it's uh, it's the guy who played young Dean Stockwell, and not actual. There was a different picture, and in- no, no, that's actual. That's yeah, actual that's, Dean. That's actual Dean. Is it him? Okay, it's a different picture though than it was in uh, MIA. But I guess she could yes. have more than one. Anyway, uh, that's not the point. So it pans <laughs> over the picture of Al, and then it, there's a leaping effect on it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is saying that Al is leaping after Sam, or this is an artistic interpretation, or or what do you think that's supposed to mean? All right, a couple of different answers to that. Um, no, three different answers, because <laughs> yes, the, the first answer is, I mentioned earlier, I went around to see my, my best friend next door to talk to him about that, and he was convinced that the photograph was leaping through time. <laughs> let's, let's, let's park that one. <laughs> um, I don't know if he was joking. It was hard to tell. We were 13, and he might have just been a bit out there. I absolutely think it's, it's an artistic interpretation of the fact that history is changing. And it's just, that's just showing us visually that history has changed. And obviously, as, as we know from the script and from the, uh, the stuff that you discovered, Alison, what was meant to happen and clearly why it just holds there and why they'd started developing the, um, the leap effect is because we, the audience, were being taken from that point in time into the 90s via the photo that Beth has kept kicking around all these years. So, I, I think it was planned to be an artistic way of taking us into the future, and it became an artistic way of saying something else. But not that Al's become a time traveler, personally. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Matt. I think that it was just a choice, and maybe it's an effect that they had completed because they thought they were going to go to that scene with um, with Susan and Dean, and they, they couldn't, but we spent the money to make this picture leap, so let's just make it symbolize that Sam has changed the future, and now he's leaping away. Yes. I think it was up until like the the last minute before they cut that ending, and if not that ending, there is another one where they just uh, the effect goes to a picture of Al and Beth and their daughters. Right. So I think it was up until like the last minute that was there. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's like I feel like they were locked into that effect because they had spent the money and rendered it, and and that was that. Um. So they had to use it and. Unfortunately, it was just another loose end because of the 11th hour nature of them, you know, learning that they were just going to be gone. I'm actually, I'm going to backtrack slightly on something I said because I just pulled up the script. And yeah, at the point that the script was written before, before they moved on to the version of the ending where the, the one photo leapt into the other photo that Alison mentioned, the original script just says, uh, Beth catches her breath, tears flood her eyes as we move to silver framed photo of young Al, which is what we see sitting on the mantle. We hold for a beat and pull back past another photo. Uh, blah blah blah. We continue until we reveal that we're in the year two thousand. So I think at that point when the script was written and it was it, it was just going to be used as a transition, but not with the leap effect. Hmm. And then Alison, as you say, there was then the second version where the one photo leapt into 
the photo of Al surrounded by his family. And then, yeah, it just became, it leaps into blackness. Maybe they thought just, if they just frozen on it, then it would have felt like a little incomplete and like just freezing on a picture of Al rather than like bringing the leaping story to a conclusion. Maybe they thought doing the leaping effect kind of completed it a little more. I feel that's that's a good interpretation because every episode does end with a leap out and this is, Mm. quote, your final leap. So it would be very unsatisfying to just end on a freeze frame of a picture of Al, a young Al that we we don't really even know. So, Mm. I mean, instead they went for the ultimate heartbreaking picture of Scott and Dean out front of the bar (laughs) with the da-da-da-da. And yeah, I mean, Uh. at that point I'm usually a mess. I, I, that's yeah, such a great yeah. song, the scoring, that, that yeah. Sam's theme. That's mm. so good. Yeah. So, I mean, usually when I watch this episode, I get emotional. And um, I'll always be varying degrees of crying at the end of it. Today, I, it, it didn't happen so much because I was just so intent on getting like some notes down and sort of reinterpreting some stuff that had always confused me. So, But God damn it, the second one Sam says, home. And the tear runs down his face. Where would you like to go, Sam? Huh? I'm crying. That's it. It's like, okay. I mean, I was Mr. Analytical until right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it can, it can always get me. So, guys, I mean... You know that that ending makes me into a mess most times. I, I just let let's talk about it. Like like, how are you affected? Uh, we're, we're analyzing, analyzing, analyzing. But like, let, let's talk about the emotion. You know. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm welling up thinking about it right now. Um, yeah, it always gets me. And similarly to you, Chris, I it, rewatching this yesterday was one of the first times it hasn't just because I was desperately trying to take down notes, but. Um, yeah, I think it's it's such a moving ending for so many reasons. But uh, everything we were talking about earlier, that that lovely build up with the the moment where Sam and Al are finally reunited, and you can tell Al is a bit scared that his friend has just absolutely lost the plot. Everything about that then heightens the emotion, and then Sam does lose it, and yeah, I, I'm then right there with him, um, right the way up until that that leap into into Beth's house. Gorgeous. Just that those those final two scenes are stunning. Yeah, it's bittersweet. So, you know, you you're it's great that Sam's able to write this wrong for Al. Like he gets a second chance to fix this. So there's that that great satisfaction of finally seeing like one of the most tragic moments on the show, like Al gets something because I feel like Al gave up so much uh, when Sam got a lot of things back in his life. There were a lot of like parallels to their stories where Sam would get things and then Al doesn't. He would get the sad ending. <laughs> so it was nice for that that wrong to be righted. Mm. Um, and then of course you get like that extra like gut punch when you see Sam never returned home because on the one hand you want to see him see his family see Al again um, have his life back Uh, but on the other hand Sam just wants to help people forever and then he does which is just a very Sam thing to do so I feel like it it took me a bit to kind of come around to it because 
It is such a bittersweet ending, but I do think that it's very fitting to the character. And this is where we go back to what I said earlier about um, my my feelings about the ending and, and whether or not Sam and Al are destined to meet is that that final scene, he changes Al's history and that completely disconnects him from the project. And that's why he never returns home. He's, he's changed his own personal history, so he's never met Al. And one of the things that really sells that to me is that in the script and when it was filmed, I, and I, I, I like the fact that, Alison, you, you said the line as it was then overdubbed, but in the script and as filmed, it's, I've got a wrong to put right first. That's what Sam says. I want to go home, but I can't. I've got a wrong to put right first. And then they overdub it with, I'd like to go home, but I can't. I've got a wrong to put right for Al. I'd like to go home, but I can't. Can I? I've got a wrong to put right for Al. Which makes it seem to me like at that point Sam realises I can't go home because instead of going home, not not until I before I go home, instead of going home, I've got to put a wrong a wrong right for Al. Oh, you're saying like Sam gave up going home to fix this for Al? Yeah, he, it's not just that he he's decided he's going to stay out there forever leaping, which yeah, fair enough, he has. He's also very consciously knowing. I'm going to go and put this right for Al, and I know this is going to screw up my chance to go home. And that's the point that I, I'm i a blubbering mess. And then right the way through that final scene, because he's doing that fully with the foreknowledge that he's that that's it. He's he's giving up his friendship with Al, and he's losing that <laughs> connection. That's sad. That's a sad ending. <laughs> it, it is. It is. But, and yeah, fair enough. Possibly that overdub was just done to explain to the audience more. But it also seems possible that it's quite a specific overdub. He, he, they could have just left it as is. I can't go home. I've got a wrong to put right first. But that's quite an optimistic line. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go home. But first, I'm going to put this, this wrong right for Al. But they changed it to I can't go home because instead I've got to help Al. See, hmm, I never, and, and I mean, this if is... you go with the interpretation that he's in controlling everything, though, then he could just go home. Yeah. Right? Even regardless of whether he knew Al. But well, he, yeah, right. He could return to the future, but yeah, maybe the project wouldn't be there because he's just so completely changed the future by not having him and Al meeting. He, he might've effectively unwound his own past. So he's not leaping from the project. He's just leaping because that's, that's what he's doing. The 1999 or 2000 that he returned to would just be completely unrecognizable. Yeah, but then wouldn't it undo all of his other leaps? Wouldn't it, like, change everything? No, not necessarily. Ripple effect, something like that. I don't know. If the project never existed, then everyone else <laughs> was, like, their histories were horrible, and then <laughs> everything was bad? <laughs> no, because he's just he's <laughs> off on a separate parallel timeline. He's knocked himself out of his own timeline. Yeah, he's a man unstuck from time now. Yeah, but it doesn't... It doesn't undo anything he's done. All it does is just mean that, yeah, the the, the timeline he would be returning to um, would be the, the Biff Horrific 1985. It's skewed into a tangent. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, um, that's I, where you start now. 
See, you've made me sort of like that interpretation better than I ever have, but I loathe that interpretation <laughs> because then it takes away all the agency that we spent the entire episode building for Sam, saying you can do this, you can do that. Sometimes it's okay to break the rules. And I feel like one of the main lessons that Sam was meant to learn in this episode that um, who knows what Don Quixote can accomplish, um, they're really are no rules. Um, and I think that you finally earn the right to even break them once in a while if they are, because you've been doing this long enough where maybe it's time for you to get something back or to be able to affect something personally for you without fear of, of losing everything. Um, I, I don't know that um, him just going and saying he never got home because he decided to save Al first I I always found that as to be sort of the layman's simplistic takeaway from this episode so you can make sense of that last title card without having to think too much about what you watched the last 40 minutes. Um, it, it, I, I, I just I, – I, I find that almost insulting. I got to be honest with you. To me, that's the shittiest ending there could be. It's the choice that he's made. I think that makes I, – I, I don't see how the two aspects that you're talking about are mutually incompatible. He has made that choice. He's been told, yeah, you, you can go and return home. You, you can go and do this, that, or the other. But his choice, because he is so selfless, is to fuck up his own timeline by saving Al. I see. And I, to me, it's, I, I think that his timeline remains intact and Al is there somewhere um, and his future is still there waiting for him. He just chooses to never go back to it. I, I feel like the fact that he never returned home isn't because he fixed Al's marriage, even though that would make sense because the timeline would change. But um, we already have evidence even though it's it wasn't aired so we can't really call it canon but the fact that al is still there looking for him even when he's back with beth yeah so that's the way i always interpreted it um but we have to look at only what we saw on screen and matt you making him into like a gully foil where he's just completely unstuck from his own timeline is a much better interpretation of the future of sam like sam post that things okay so he did sacrifice himself for al it didn't mean that he was then trapped in the past. It meant that he didn't have a, a future to go back to. Yes. He didn't have that home to go back to anymore. I like that a little bit better because it doesn't mean that he can't get home because this. It means that he effectively erased what was home, but he's still out there doing what he can for whoever he can, and he's got his own agency in doing that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that the whole point of the episode, as you say, is that he's he's discovering his the control, and he has to have that. And for me, for the ending to make any sense, anything else you can argue the toss over, but the him never returning home is because he is still out there being a hero, and that makes me happy. And but it's just yeah, there's this other level of what did happen to to Al. Um, I want to talk about the last ending. <laughs> okay. Of course you do. I want to talk about the last ending. Okay, so this was in the script uh, that uh, after uh, Sam puts this uh, wrong right, uh, that they should have a scene of Al with Beth in the future together where Al leaps after Sam 
like he goes to the bar and then he leaps after him to go find him. And that was something that uh, people had debated whether it existed for a long time. Uh, Donald Belisario said that it didn't happen for whatever reason. He was like, oh, it's just fiction or whatever. And uh, then uh, when I bought some negatives, I'm just recapping for people who uh, maybe hadn't been following. So I found some negatives a while back uh, that included photos from this scene, which eventually ended with uh, the actual scene, like a, uh, a daily of it, being released on Reddit. So now we actually have like the filmed proof that this scene happened. And uh, I like that this exists because uh, in my personal uh, opinion, I really like the idea that Sam and Al are still friends, even though this has been changed. I don't like the idea of Sam just being out there alone the whole time or erasing their friendship because it feels like it just undoes so much of the series that I, j I just don't like the fact those things wouldn't exist. I feel like it just makes you feel like you you wasted your time if they undo all of that. So I don't know. I, I like the idea that like this thing is better for Al, uh, but he's still there for his friend. That's the way I always uh, looked at it as well, Allison. And to me, that makes the most sense as a fan. And it's what makes this ending as satisfying as it is for me. And uh, just to correct myself for all of you uh, literature geeks out there, I meant to say Billy Pilgrim, not Gully Foyle. Um, so, mea culpa. But um, anyway, uh, I always had that interpretation. And then when you found the negatives, and then subsequently we saw the video, it just sort of reinforced that for me. And um, I, 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 I always like, yes, finally, I felt... I wouldn't say vindicated because it's an obvious way to go, but I felt, okay, I'm justified in being satisfied in, in, in what I thought was, was a great ending. I, I, does that make any sense? That was kind of a weird way to put it, but anyway. Um, well, I mean, you always think like, here's how I like to think of it, you know, when, mm. like either I like that this was a tragedy or I wish that this was a little bit nicer, but I think maybe this is how it would have gone, but it's in your head. Like, I don't know, I guess this is how it would be, but to see that they filmed that there was some sort of intent there. It's not Canon because it's not in the show, uh, but to say this is what it would have been if they'd done a season six or whatever, it's kind of nice to think that that's what the direction would have been. Hmm. Now, mm. Matt, did finding those um, alternate takes and that footage ruin your headcanon for this? Did it did it detract from what you thought was the perfect ending? No, because it wasn't broadcast. So, yeah, I, I know that I'm I'm reaching on at least in terms of Al's history. I know I'm I'm reaching, and that's a personal interpretation. So whether they filmed that scene or didn't film it, whether we saw it or didn't see it, yeah, I just see it as like any other deleted scene. Yeah, it was interesting, but it didn't happen because we didn't see it during the finished episode. So anyone's headcanon, myself included, still stands. Um, and I still think it's it's really difficult to interpret that, that final title card as being anything other than Sam's choosing to carry on leaping. Yeah, but we don't know who Sam Beckett with one T is. Oh, don't go there. <laughs> and you know what? We see his license in this. We know it is spelled with two T's. 
in his uh, sweet Velcro wallet. <laughs> his license could be the typo. I think Sam Beckett with one T was the guy who leaped into Gushy in Act 3. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yeah, it all comes full circle. I just want to say, a Velcro wallet really kills me. It just kills me that he whips out a Velcro wallet with his super special future license. It's very good. It expires in 98. He's on an expired license. Well, I mean, he hasn't really gotten to the DMV to renew it because, you know, he's been trapped in time. <laughs> Where's it been all this time? Up his butt? Where was it? <laughs> uh, it was somewhere. It was in that bar. I don't know. Like, along with the shirt and it. pants that he leaped into. They were just, you know, standing in, in the ether waiting to materialize around him. Um, got me. Uh, I love the little holographic uh, photo in there to do the little profile and then do the little turn. Oh, yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah, that was a neat little touch. Yeah, I, I I mean, the fact now that Sam is leaping as himself, apparently in that nondescript white shirt and brown slacks, um, <clears throat> is he carrying that wallet around with him throughout history? What's he going to do when he runs out of the nickels to pay for beers? You it's know? like Doctor Who's uh, magic uh, parchment paper or whatever. Like, he yes. just takes it out and then in the wallet Psychic it says whatever paper. he needs. Like, you know, yeah. oh, it's the health inspector. Oh, I'm so-and-so. Yeah. He always has what he needs. See, that gets us into, um, I say, maybe one of my last questions of this, because assuming that Sam went on to leap and assuming that, you know, they wanted to go to a season six, but with all of these different rules, what is the new leaping paradigm for future leaps? Um, is Al now going to be sidelined in a separate story where he's trying to find Sam while Sam acts of his own accord? Or is that like a one episode thing and then they get back to the status quo because it's 90s TV and that's what you did? And that being the case, how could they do like, say, the baby leap that they talked about, the cartoon <laughs> leap that they talked about? Like all of the wacky season six ideas seem to be predicated on the old leaping model. Yeah. Whereas this very definitely changed all the rules. So what what do you think that it would have looked like? I think as much as season five got very gimmicky and season six probably would have been more gimmicky, as you say, 90s TV, I think they would have bottled out of making any ongoing changes to the very, very basic premise of the show. And yeah, it would have been an episode or a two-part to start off the series before it then just went back to regular leaping albeit harder leaps tougher leaps because he's had a sabbatical whatever yeah i mean it's possible they could have changed some of it to be like sam is himself but he is whatever they need him to be so he's not necessarily becoming a person in the leap but he is someone who is there that doesn't really exist but is sam for that moment if that makes sense even that, it, it would not enable them in repeat runs to chop and change and have him have episodes being aired in any old order, which until the mid-90s was pretty standard for TV. Just produce them, air them in whatever order. If you start showing some season six episodes and, and chuck a season three episode in the middle of it, it's not going to make any sense whatsoever. And that's why I think that that element of it could not have been changed permanently. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. It was probably intended to be like him leaping as himself was this weird exception in this episode. And then it would go back to that after like a one or two parter with 
Al in the future coming to get him or whatever they were going to do leading into season six. Yeah, I think that that's what it would have been as well. But based on what we saw, I think it would have been nice to have maybe a little bit more of the independent Sam, maybe him encountering other leapers who weren't evil, Mm -hmm. um, but who needed like an assist. We would have gotten more with the evil leapers for sure, though. Oh, oh, for yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I bet we'd even get like more information about them because I'm sure by then they would be like, this is our last season. We need to wrap Mm -hmm. this up. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe it would have been uh, Bruce McGill with a goatee. Uh, that was Lothos. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> it's too. There's a god and a devil, Bruce McGill. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, be very good. Can I just say though, if if there had have been a season six, I remember back in the day, a few years after this, when Buffy the Vampire Slayer switched networks and they got a a pseudo-series finale on their original network. I remember after that thinking, that finale was so perfect, they've now screwed themselves over because they're going to have to do an actual finale at some point and it won't be as good. And I would have been watching season six of Quantum Leap thinking the same thing, that Mirror Image was so spot-on as a way to end it, nothing they can do now can live up to it. And it would have ended up being as the Buffy finale ended up being a bit of a disappointment by comparison. Well, okay, if we're going, if if this was the same situation and like Quantum Leap was renewed for a season six and then they like went to another network and then they'd be like, yeah, now it's Sam, but then there's like, everyone's depressed. And then there's like a bunch of little mini leapers that have got to like, <laughs> he got to like help out. And then there's an army of leapers. <laughs> and then all your favorite characters are going to leave. And then drug metaphors. Whoa! <laughs> Maybe that would be a little disappointing, I would think. <laughs> but you might get a musical episode. I'd like True. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not comparing it to the networks, which as such, just the fact that Buffy effectively had two series finales, which is unusual in a show and i'm glad quantum leap didn't yeah but i mean with buffy when i watched it the first time i didn't know that that was supposed to be the series finale the season five thing so i never thought of it that way looking back at it i'm like yeah that totally was what it was but uh i don't think that was a disappointing uh series finale the one they eventually went with but uh with quantum leap i don't think i would be disappointed because if they'd continue to season six you wouldn't have had the Sam never leapt home thing. You would have a very weird interpretive episode, which in some ways I think I might have enjoyed more not thinking it was a series finale and just being like, this was just a weird episode. Like, what was that all about? That was interesting. Changed up the format. Uh, but I don't think like I would be like, oh, no, it was a series finale and now it isn't. They ruined it. I don't know. I, I think after him being controlled by god fate or time for five years him then meeting god fate or time that that in itself screams series finale to me even though i know they, they left the doors open etc but now, yeah, do you guys think he was really god fate or time or was this something sam interpreted as that yeah for sure my favorite interpretation of it is um what sam says to al i think he is god or time or our fate or maybe even something that we've never even thought of. I think it goes beyond God, fate, time, whatever. I think it's more firmly in the whatever category. And it's just, we, we interpret it as God, fate, or time because those are concepts that we can grasp. 
I mean, I guess he did fight the devil. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm, and I'm not saying that's that's just that's just my interpretation. I, I if you, I, I think that there's a, a good argument that this is God. If you compare it to that episode, uh, to the boogeyman, like it does, it's it's not necessarily a literal interpretation. You could think that's the devil. You could think it's something fucking with him. You could think it's an evil leaper. You could think it's all in his mind. Uh, and I guess it's a similar thing with God here because. It could be God specifically. It could be some uh, good uh, deity be- being looking over him. It could be something not that entirely. It could be something in his mind that he's like, I guess this is what makes sense to me. I guess it could be either of those things. The wonderful thing about this episode is none of those interpretations are wrong. I mean, you you, you can mix and match however you feel, whatever you're comfortable with uh, interpreting that character as. Uh, I think it all fits within the lore of the show, however you come down. That's what's great about Quantum Leap. You know, you, anything could be anything. And, like, you can make your own decisions what you think uh, something is, but it doesn't feel like you have to fill in gaps that are just, like, missed. You know, like, sometimes you watch something and you're like, I don't know, I gotta kind of, like, complete this in my mind because I feel like they just didn't get there. It feels like everything's in place with Quantum Leap. You just have to kind of figure out what that is to you. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah what Quantum Leap means to me. In this essay, I will <laughs> let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that um, yeah, I mean, Mirror Image is the kind of thing where uh, again, uh, this is the reason I absolutely love this episode. It feels to me like we just started talking about it and we've been going for two hours now. So um, perhaps we should maybe get into some final thoughts. Um, Matt, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how to summarize it. As you say, we could talk about this for so long. Um, we've, we've been talking for two hours and it feels like we've barely scratched the surface. So trying to summarize what I think into final thoughts is, is damn near impossible. But yeah, for, this episode's handful of failings, I still find it very watchable. I, I love a lot of it, and I think it's it's the perfect ending. At the same time, I understand why a lot of fans were aggrieved by it, and, and I get why there's still fans upset by it today. Um, I feel fortunate that I'm I'm not one of those, and I just, I, as much as I'm a blubbering, quivering mess during those final moments, I like being made to feel like that. How about you, Allison? This is a uh, weird but very well-crafted episode that had to accomplish a lot of things, which I think it did effectively. Um, so it's it's very well done. Uh, I'm a little bit mixed, but I think I like it. But I don't like to watch it that much. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, it's bittersweet. And uh, yeah, bittersweet's a good way to put it. It's funny because it it struck me. I was going like um, really um, sort of um, lasering in on the stopper aspect of this when I was rewatching it the last time before the show and really how in my mind it's more of a stopper leap. And then I thought, 
poor Scott Bakula can't get a break um, in this finale. He's just uh, like an ancillary player in somebody else's leap in the Enterprise finale. He's just like a holographic <laughs> player in somebody else's story. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh I'm sorry. Was uh, was Riker, Chef Riker somewhere in this episode? Or? <laughs> no, but I'm just thinking like, if you really look at it, this episode in a certain way, it's stop his story. And Sam is just sort I, of like a bit player in that story. So- I understand. It is Sam's I'm story. Just making a joke, Allison. <laughs> I don't know why you think it's Strapa's story. I think it's, it's as Sam's much story. Strapa's story as it is it's Sam's, Sam's story. It's Sam's and story. So, hey, my interpretation is my interpretation. And I think that's- All right, all right. I think that- um, <laughs> What what that's what makes this such a, an awesome episode because you can discuss it and discuss it and discuss it and have like a good collegial friendly conversation where nobody is wrong. Like you might mm. think I'm wrong, but I mean the evidence is there for um, different interpretations. Like Matt, you just really opened my eyes mm-hmm. to maybe Sam did quote sacrifice his future to save Al's marriage to Beth, which I never liked that idea, but now I can actually see it making sense and actually being you know as satisfying as my interpretation and Mm. it's this is what i meant when i said that it's so much better than just sam coming home because i think that sam coming home would have been the finale we were expecting the by the numbers sort of stock series ending and i i think that this is a much more satisfying piece of television and such a, a better way to end a series that has, you know, one of my favorites of all time. I mean, because it's it's just so intriguing and it's just endlessly fascinating and it leaves nothing but possibilities for a character who I love dearly. So, I mean, I mean, home run with this one. This this to me is not only a great episode, I think it's it's one of the best possible endings for Quantum Leap as a series. So, um thank you Don Belisario. Thank you, uh, Scott Bakula. Thank you, Dean Stockwell, for being the key creative forces behind something that is still affecting me profoundly to this day. It's just, I, I words can't, like you said, Matt, words can't describe. But anyway, um, uh, I guess that is the first part of our discussion with Mirror Image uh, in the can. Uh, we'll be doing some more of this on the next episode, but there's some stuff to um, get to before that. We're going to go to a break. And uh, when we get back, uh, we have some Patreon news, some great feedback, and some announcements for the future of the podcast. So stay right there, and we'll see you on the flip side. You got to accentuate to positive. On the latest episode of Fangin. There's a lot of Star Trek stuff going on in my life right now, so I figured what better to talk about. When other guys my age were kissing girls, I was memorizing the Mike Okuda chronology. <laughs> you may be the only Chakotay cosplayer that ever existed. <laughs> exactly. I was actually that angry fan who didn't like Next Gen because it was usurping my childhood. Remember when the captain would make out with the green-skinned <laughs> women? <laughs> oh man, you guys are making me want to go and watch the original series now. Can we hurry up and stop this? Very 
gonna have the captain threaten to punch a woman in the face. <laughs> he was gonna knock her on her ass, thank you very much. Really endearing intro to Archer. I have an NX-01 baseball cap. I have total faith of the heart now. Nice. Riker making pizza was the best part, though. <laughs> I would watch a show where it's just Riker making pizza. That's the next spin-off we need. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. That's patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Come over here, Chris, and let's watch Spock's brain. <laughs> <laughs> There's a spot here just for you. How I've waited for this moment. This is Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Okay, everyone, we're back, and guys, as promised, I have some really big Patreon news. Are you all ready? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We have two and a half new patrons to thank today. (laughs) By the half, I mean one of our existing patrons, Jeff Kiska, was a $5 Leaper patron, but he has upped his pledge to the $10 old boy level. So thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. For your continued support. I mean, odd timing since uh, we're at the end of the uh, (laughs) series proper, but I guess Jeff is really excited for the books and um, maybe us redoing some other stuff. But uh, thank you, Jeff. As an Oh Boy level member, Jeff, you have the opportunity to be interviewed by me about your Quantum Leap fandom eventually. Um, So far, none of our old boy or producer level patrons have responded to my request to actually fulfill (laughs) that pledge (laughs) item. Um, (laughs) So I don't know if it's, you know, if if that's really what's driving people to that tier. But if if you don't know guys who are $10 and $20 patrons, I will interview you about your Quantum Leap fandom for a Patreon exclusive. interview you i will i'll find you and uh i really you know i I look forward to doing it i stole this idea from my friend sean ray who started a podcast called the prime direction um which has since switched hands a couple of times but uh he just talks to star trek fans about their fandom and how they became fans and it's a show i really like and I figured, why not swipe it and do it as a Patreon bonus show? So, yeah, uh, I promise I'm a good interviewer. You guys have heard me interview people on the podcast before. And um, it's kind of what I did for a living for a long time. So Now, hey, hey, I can vouch for this. The first time I ever spoke to Chris was when he interviewed me. And look at me now. That's right. This is where <laughs> being interviewed by Chris can take you. Take a look at you now. <laughs> <laughs> I promise to treat you with kid gloves. I'll make you sound as good as possible. And you have it coming as an old boy patron. You're very gentle. I am very gentle, right, Matt? You know. See? Yeah. I lured you in and you never left. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> You're still interviewing me now. This is just the world's <laughs> longest interview. <laughs> Well, speaking of oh boy patrons, we have another new patron at the $10 level. Welcome, everyone. Mike Thomas. Woo! Mike Thomas. Hello. Welcome. If you guys recall, Mike is the person who left us a voicemail on July 1st, 2020, and then again on July 1st, 2021. He's called the show a couple of times. I guess after we aired his last voicemail, he was so thrilled to hear himself on the podcast once again that he decided to support us at the $10 level just so I could interview him for a Patreon-exclusive show. (laughs) So, welcome, Mike. 
who knows? You might be the first one to bite for uh, for the oh boy perk. But um, that is not all. Um, we have another recent responder who has decided to pony up and become a patron. It is Aiden Garrity. Aiden, welcome aboard. Welcome. Aiden. All right. Aiden, if you guys recall, was the responder from Dublin. Not only did Aiden get uh, his response read on air, I guess he was also excited enough to become a $5 leaper. So thank you, Aiden, for um, coming on. I'm just so grateful that we're getting all of these new patrons on Patreon. And you guys, Jeff, Mike, Aiden, and all of our other patrons, remember to go on to the Patreon site because I posted the poll where you can decide what show we cover next. And um, that is live. You can go there and vote. And guys, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be Genesis. Genesis has a significant lead. Thou shalt not? Not even in the running? (laughs) Oh, oh, that's in there. (laughs) I mean, it's it's on the poll. It's like Genesis and then thou shalt not three different times and then like no votes. I will put thou shalt Uh, not on every poll. (laughs) We'll get that. So yeah, so yeah, Genesis is really pulled ahead, but um, Anybody who is a patron on Patreon can vote in the poll, and you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month and still have access to the poll. That's for any patron at any level. But we also have some news regarding our $3 Patreon tier, which is the QLP Book Club. The QLP Book Club bookmarks are finally done, and we will ship them out to eligible patrons shortly. So make sure, if you haven't already, to update your pledge information on the Patreon site to include a shipping address so that we can get you that perk. And I got to tell you, Scott Madsen, who did our logo, did a beautiful job on this bookmark. It looks so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Yummy. There was like a bunch of different versions uh, that she was showing us that he had uh, made. And like, that was by far the coolest. Yeah. They were all good, though. Yeah, they were all good. And it's Talented funny because guy. we picked, you know, if you're a graphic designer, it's like, <laughs> I think they have to invent new ways to say, is this what you wanted? Is this what you want? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it was like, uh, how, can you change it a little bit in the goodness level? Can you? <laughs> Make it pop more. I like (laughs) something visually stunning. Make it more gooder somehow. (laughs) Oh, I wasn't aiming for good. Now I know what you mean. No, they were all really cool. But then you showed like that one. I was like, ooh. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, I really like it. So um, let's give Scott a plug. That's Scott Madison. You can find all of his work, samples of his work at planetrisecreative.com. Go give Scott a look if you're in need of any kind of corporate logo or anything really graphically. Uh, He's the guy to ask. He does a great job. So you guys will see once you get those bookmarks in your hot little hands. So I can't wait to send those out. I can't wait to get my own, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's awesome. I need to update my bookmarks. I need cooler bookmarks. <laughs> I need to get a QLP book club bookmark. How awesome is that? I didn't even think about it until now. Using the book club bookmark in the Quantum Leap book, just have a Quantum Leap novel with, yeah. a, with a Quantum Leap bookmark. Ah, set. You're just putting that together now, are you? Well, I was well because a lot of people I figured were just going to like, I don't know, uh, read them online. <laughs> On their Kindles. Uh, yeah, I have, um, you know, actual books, and I have the 
entire Quantum Leap book series. You can't read these online. I wish they were available online. Yeah, I don't think they are. I mean, not legally anyway. Honestly, like physical books, like I have some. Obviously, I have all the Quantum Leap books, but I never think about like, oh yeah, using the bookmark in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Allison. (laughs) I'm so glad you cracked the code. I'll use it for your book, Matt. Your book's so big. (laughs) It needs a bookmark. Yeah, it has to have a bookmark. It needs two bookmarks, that book. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Yeah, the bookmarks, uh, like I said, will be mailed out shortly. So uh, get your pledges in. If you guys want to be in the QLP book club, it is just $3 a month on Patreon. That means you get to vote in the polls of which older shows we're going to do now that we're done with Mirror Image. And you get that nifty bookmark. And I'm sure we'll find other things to send as we read these books and as we go along with all of the novels. I can't wait. I can't wait. I've already started to reread the novel, aka Carney Knowledge, because I'm excited to do it. Oh, you're getting ahead of us on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it, looking forward to it. And um, not only did Jeff Kiska up his pledge to the $10 old boy level to be interviewed by me shortly, um, he sent us some feedback as well. He's not going to be outdone by the likes of Mike Thomas and Aiden Garrity. So (laughs) Jeff uh, actually is giving us some thoughts about the Evil Leaper storyline. So uh, he sent us an email, and I shall begin. I just finished listening to your Evil Leaper episodes for the second time. Like Matt, this two-parter is absolutely my favorite storyline from the series. I know these episodes aren't traditional Quantum Leap by any means, but the way that they expand the universe of the show really excited me when I first watched, and continues to do so. I found myself considering Aaliyah's fate a lot over the years. First off, I always assume that she wasn't actually wounded by Zoe's gunshot. Since we see the bullet make a hole in the leap effect, it likely passed through her safely. As Matt suggested, it's probably embedded in a tree somewhere in the background, and Aaliyah herself was fine. As for what became of her afterwards, yeah, it always bothered me how Al or Ziggy could possibly know that, uh, wherever (laughs) she is, she's free. (laughs) (laughs) I do prefer to believe that it's true, though. My personal headcanon is that once she made the decision to sacrifice herself to save Sam, thus proving that she really was one of the good guys, GTFW intervened and leaped her out, freeing her from being tracked or retrieved by Lothos in the process. After that, who knows? My favourite bit of speculation is actually along the lines of something Allison joked about. Aaliyah found herself at the bar in a certain coal town, got a nice pep talk from the wise bartender, (laughs) and was then sent on her way, off to put things right as penance for all the wrongs she'd done. They go with your theory, Chris. About the leap test? Yeah, it's a leap test. Exactly. So, and Aiden continues, since she wouldn't have an observer, I like to think she just gets weirdly convenient hints about what she's supposed to do. Maybe she leaps in and immediately sees somebody who needs help or finds a flyer in her pocket about some event like, you know, lightning striking clock tower at 1004. <laughs> she needs to attend in order to accomplish her mission. Maybe a cat delivers her a copy of tomorrow's newspaper and wacky hijinks ensue. <laughs> reference oh, I someone love it. made a pop culture reference that i got that's oh a my first god. oh my Jeff, god ding 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 early editions making a comeback i don't think early edition even aired in the uk and i know it <laughs> <laughs> jeff is like what's early edition <laughs> i just thought a cat delivering tomorrow's newspaper is a good idea <laughs> i mean how could that go wrong <laughs> Uh, He continues, whatever her fate, I wish there had been a season six so that we could see Sam cross paths with her again. 
Heck, maybe the reason Sam never returned home was because he did meet Aaliyah again. Perhaps they eventually started leaping together. Sorry, Donna, but this feels like a far more meaningful romance for him than one based on talking stars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, this was a really great pair of episodes from the podcast. Thanks, as always, for consistently delivering quality discussion and entertainment. Jeff Geska. I loved this feedback. It was great. Yeah, thank you. They got you. the early edition. They got the Donna digs. It's yes, all good. The talking star. It was especially <laughs> apropos for uh, post mirror image, since he got to incorporate a lot of the mirror image uh, mythos into the evil leaper mythos. I mean, it's all just coming together. Yeah. He did give us a little bit of a PS. Um, he writes, oh. "Just imagine the possibilities. Maybe Lothos discovers that there was an unusually intelligent chimp back in the '60s who could swim. <laughs> so Sam has to leap back into Bobo, but this time Aaliyah leaps into Corey, and they have to work together to stop an evil leaper from breeding an army of." Mega chimps and taking over the space program. <laughs> Tune in next Wednesday for Diaper Monkey 2, The Revenge. Oh, but that that's just all kinds of wrong. All I'm thinking about is like in in um the first Evil Leap episode where you see the mirror shot and the leapies are kind of almost about to start getting jiggy. Is that oh. what we'd see there? Would there be a like like they start to get a bit romantic and then we shoot to a mirror of Bobo and Corey? <laughs> oh my god! And then and then Zoe and uh, Tams Zoe's and all watching. of them like no, they also leap into chimps and then it's a chimp like gun standoff and then all these people are just seeing guns with like monkeys shooting at each other with guns. <laughs> oh my god, Jeff! Whatever you're smoking, please send me. <laughs> multiple diaper monkeys it'd be sam and Aaliyah in diapers <laughs> fighting alongside each other <laughs> yeah how would they figure out i guess um Aaliyah would have to have some kind of bikini top for tv standards yeah. she would she would magically have like grown her hair out like super long and so her hair's like covering <laughs> like adam and eve yeah <laughs> yeah there we go i thought she would be the next level diaper monkey in a bikini <laughs> <laughs> They're testing out new bikini, new space bikinis. <laughs> the whole, the whole episode is just like strategically placed items in front of her, and she's like walking, like the Austin Powers beginning or something. Yes. <laughs> oh, diaper monkey, the gift that just keeps on giving and giving and giving. <laughs> Wow. So thank you, Jeff, for this wonderful, wonderful wacky feedback. And uh, he's not the only Patreon supporter that sent us a message. Actually, we got an update from our producer, Charles Allen Gossard. He is the Civil War reenactor that we talked about after uh, Leap Between the States. And he actually responded to some of the questions that we posed regarding the reenactors and how they get on set. So He writes, to answer the questions you posed at the end of Memphis Melody, Civil War reenactors are hired for all kinds of shows that deal with the Civil War, time travel or otherwise. Films and documentaries are the most likely places where you'll see us used. Uh, Civil War reenactors, like me, bring our gear with us. The uniforms we wear, either federal or confederate, the tents we sleep in, the guns that are fired, even the utensils we eat with, are reproduced to be historically accurate, so that the audience will get a feel for the time and place and not be taken out of the moment. And when I say we bring our gear, I also mean the things audiences would not expect. The reenactors in Leap Between the States likely owned the horses you see them ride, and the cannons you see them fire! Wow. Hope that answers some of your questions about life as a Civil War reenactor on TV and in other media. 
And Charles finishes up by writing, and lastly, because my area of Civil War reenacting focuses on Civil War medicine, I've made and helped apply a mustard poultice or plaster (laughs) like Sam's great grandmother did in Leap Between the States to show how it helped warm muscle tissues, ease chronic aches and pains and chest congestion. But left in place too long, it could cause first degree burns to the skin and the fumes might cause nausea. So maybe Sam was right. Bring on the gangrene. (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah, that was really interesting. I guess, like, I thought it, it must have been like that, that um, that they hired reenactors and everything that they had, because it would be cheap and easy. Well, maybe mm. not cheap. I don't know what they, they ask for, but it would be easier than making your own costumes and stuff. But I didn't think about the fact that the horses or the utensils or all that stuff, they would just have that. Yeah, I guess if they're gonna, if they've already got that sort of stuff to hand, why, you know, not even just the ease, but the research, you know that the people that are that passionate about it are going to be the ones that get it right. They go down to like, you know, what the clothes are made of and how they're made. I mean, like that kind of stuff, like just all of the little details. Yes, I could spot that thread count was wrong from a mile away. How dare you, sir, get <laughs> off my reenactment field. <laughs> No, I just, well, it's not even about, like, will this look good on film? I mean, people who are reenactors, like, they want it to be historically accurate. And um, I guess people who are doing films or documentaries take advantage of that because it already exists. These people love doing that. They love doing reenactments and uh, being out on the field and, like, why not do it in a movie or a documentary? It's an amazing synergy, I think. Um, the fact that they own the horses, most likely, to me, was the biggest um, – because I thought that, you know, on film sets, like, the use of animals is so strictly handled and supervised. I didn't think you could just mosey on up with your own horse. I thought, like, these things had to be vetted and cleared. I guess they have to be at some at some point in the process. Well, I think you would have um, people who are in charge of uh, supervision of animals on set. I imagine they would be there just to make sure everything's on the up and up. I'm not sure they'd have to approve the animals just to prove that it's a safe situation. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, Charles, that is really fascinating. Thank you so much for clearing that up. I mean, who knew that um, Quantum Leap would lead us to a greater knowledge of Civil War reenactments <laughs> in media? It's... um. It's an amazing thing. And guys, what can we reenact? I I think the diaper monkey would be too easy. Like we need something a little harder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, are you saying you want us to reenact Quantum Leap? I don't know. Maybe we could do some Quantum Leap reenactment troop. Who is going to be the diaper monkey in that situation? Oh, Bagsy. Definitely me. It's going to be Nat. (laughs) I've I've got plenty of diapers to hand. It'll be something to show Zach in the future. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I thought that we'd all audition, and then whoever did the best monkey <laughs> would get the role. Hmm. I may end up just being diaper wrangler. <laughs> I mean, I think... Diaper the, the, prop master. I think the answer is clear. We'd have to reenact the entirety of Thou Shalt Not. <laughs> exactly. In the middle of a field somewhere, as people are walking by, having a picnic. <laughs> yeah, people are clamoring for a one-act play based on that. I can't wait to get my yarmulke out for that. I'm playing the rabbi. <laughs> So thank you, Charles. Thank you, Jeff. And um, if you want to be like Charles or be like Jeff and send us your feedback, there are many ways that you can do so. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram 
at Quantum Leap Pod. And you can always go that extra mile like Jeff and Mike and Charles and Aiden and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the podcast. And that feedback is going to be especially important for the next episode because next up we are, we're not done talking about mirror image. We are doing the mirror image feedback special. I've already gotten a number of uh, letters and missives from fans and, uh, you know, listeners to the podcast about how they like mirror image, what mirror image means to them, um, if they find it good, if they find it bad, if they can't stand that Sam didn't get home. And we want to hear from you. We want to know what you think about mirror image, why you like it, why you hate it, what you think it does for the show, however you feel about it. Please um, send us some mail, send us a voicemail. Um, We really want the fans to engage in this, I think, brilliant and unique series finale and i want to see what everybody else out there thinks about it as a special incentive to listen i'm really trying to wrangle albie back on mic so i want albie to contribute he's going to help us host that show if i have my way and uh, (laughs) i really want to hear because to me it's, it's just perfect i mean he's the one that's got this whole ball rolling he started the quantum leap podcast i think we would be remiss not to get his thoughts on mirror image uh, now that the the whole ball of wax is done. So, Albie, if you're listening, I'm coming for you. And uh, I also am going to invite Hayden to, to leave some comments. And um, yeah, we'll just see, you know, if you're also, if you're on the crew listening, reach out, guys. Reach out. I know that uh, we only speak sporadically, but we want to know what you guys think of it as well. Okay. Until we meet again, maybe in a bar in Kochberg, maybe in a field playing Diaper Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Alison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. Oh, congratulations, Allison. I haven't really spoken to you since you got back, like, officially. Oh, thank you. Looks amazing. Oh, thank you. Everyone looked very happy. No, it was a good time. Good, good. As a wedding should be, especially your own. <laughs> yes. It was great, because it was like, it was the perfect weather. And when I came in to Canada, it was all foggy and humid mm. and heat wave. Oh. And then the day of the wedding, it was like, perfect. Perfect weather out in the park. Good for you. It cleared out just for us.
I can't remember because it's it's been a couple of weeks since I looked at the pictures, but I it, it was clearly your wedding and not anyone else's. Some some weddings look very generic, but there was definitely some things in there. Oh yeah, yeah I was wearing a Ghostbusters dress. <laughs> I just saw like black swirls and stuff. I'm now looking. At yeah, it's it's Ghostbusters. <laughs> Brilliant. I've been so cautious about actually revealing your personal information that when I did the wraparound for the Gung Ho episode that I released on the first, I just said you were on vacation. I didn't say you were off getting married. I don't know if you want people to know. I didn't know if you were, you know. Oh, so. thank you. Well, I mean, um, we, we've we announced it now. I'm not sure if that came out before we'd like said it. So uh, it was the... Um uh, yeah, the the clapperboard on the cake. That was what made me think. Yeah, you wouldn't see that at that many weddings. Oh but. yeah, yeah, that was all Phelan. He, like it, pretty much everything except the dress and me showing up uh, was Phelan <laughs> and his family. Like they planned the whole thing. It was really nice. That's great. I've been to a lot of very generic weddings, and that clearly was not one of them. Yeah, we wanted it to be like um, something cheap <laughs> and something <Yeah>. short <laughs> and fun. <laughs> Good. Cheap, short, and fun. I've been described that way many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I have a question for you. It's going to sound like an odd, yes. an odd question. Do you have like a bird, a songbird? <laughs> no. Okay, because I'm editing the Star Trek show, and there is a bird in the background going to town. I mean, it's beautiful. The the trills that this thing is making, and it's just like, I don't. Does he have a pet? Do we have an open window? Does he in his garden? Like, what? yeah, I I live in England. We have like birds here and shit. Um, I the Star <laughs> Trek one. I was still in my bedroom, and I usually kept the windows open. So yeah, maybe I don't have the window open here. Okay, I just wanted to check because I'd never heard it before, so it was a new thing for me. Yeah, not not my bird, just probably a bird. Gotcha. I had that happen once. I was recording a video in the kitchen, and there was a bird outside uh, the porch that was like, today's a tweedly tweet day. I'm like, <laughs> no! I would like open the, the patio door, and then it would go quiet like it was scared, and I was like, okay, and then I would shut the door, and then a few minutes later, tweedly tweet. <laughs> you stupid bird! Guys, guys, stop a sec. I am going to have to close my door. Um, sorry, I, Zach is laughing a lot downstairs, <laughs> and I can just see <laughs> it on the waveform. I was ignoring it at first, but I can see it coming through, and I know Chris is going to say, what the hell is all that laughter? <laughs> he no. was laughing about the fact that no one wants to be interviewed <laughs> by you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have another recent responder who has decided to pony up and become a patron. He is Aiden Garrity. I know I'm saying that wrong, but he was the um, he was the responder I think from. That's right. It is right. Okay. I think so. Okay. It is Aiden Garrity. It. I'll say that again. Sure. It is Aiden Garrity. 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 Okay. Just that H is screwing me up. It is. Aiden Garrity. <laughs> I'll just stop looking at it. Garrity. Garrity. It's Aiden Garrity from Dublin. <laughs> uh, me lucky charms. Um. <laughs> Boob window. Ba, ba, ba.